You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 499. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. With your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Lake Burton, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 24th of November, 2021. In today's episode, an Air Force student pilot dies in a training accident in Texas. Authorities blame staff cuts for a cargo plane slipping off a snowy taxiway in Finland. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale 500. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 499 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He is an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation, 1010 Winds in New York City. All right. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guys show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia. And joining me today from across the pond... In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. His lakeside. No, it's not lakeside. Unless it's been raining there a lot. I don't know. It's probably not lakeside. Uh, anyway, his studio, professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot. Retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. Hi there, Jeff. Yeah, occasionally we have had a moat around our castle, but not right now, thank you. That's good. All right. It you is. want you want to talk um, aviation news, maybe? Uh, that's what I'm here for. All right, let's do it. Stand by for news. All right. Thank you, Paul. Uh, accident. TMA DHC6 uh, de Havilland, uh, what is that, a twin otter at uh, Fanohu? I believe so. On November 13th, 2021, right wing damage during water take. Oh, not another one. Okay. Um, a <laughs> TMA Transmall Deviant, Divian, Deviant, mm-hmm. help me, help me, Deviant, uh, Airways de Havilland DHC6 300 twin otter. There you go. It's right there, written right down, right in front of me. Registration 8, Quebec, Mike Bravo, Charlie, performing a flight from Fenohu to Malé in the Maldives, was in its water takeoff run when the crew rejected takeoff due to a collision. The aircraft was recovered oops. to the mooring. Yes? Am I gone? Oops. I'm just going, oops. Oh, I see. <laughs> uh, yeah. The collision. Uh, there are no reports of injuries. The aircraft was seen at the mooring at Fenohu 
in the evening of November 16, 2021, having suffered a dent and penetration to the leading edge of the right hand wing, as well as the right hand propeller being removed and the right hand engine supported by a crane works going on on the wing and the prop slash engine. According to ground observers, the aircraft collided with a water bungalow during its takeoff run and received damage to its right hand wing. I had to look this up uh, on Google to see what a. Um, I was thinking maybe that was some kind of a floating in like a raft or something. No, it's yeah, like no. those things that those are actually structures yeah. in the water. <laughs> they're, they're on stilts, yeah. How, you pay a lot of money to, to see one of those. How do you not see that? I'd like to know. I don't know. I was wondering, was it an evening takeoff or something? Or, oh. you know, sunset, looking into the sun? or I, I was trying to think of a good reason why you would drive your twin otter into a bungalow. I couldn't think of one. <laughs> I don't know. It may have been dark because uh, the, some of these uh, overlays that you have been seeing on the video uh, show some lights, some very, it looks mood lighting, like um, purple pink yeah. light lighting. I don't know why. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. uh, so perhaps it was dark dancing at any moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, perhaps it was, but then again, if you're taking off now, I understand you've got to bear in mind the wind direction, but you're normally going to point it out to sea, aren't you? Uh, yeah. Not t parallel to the coast or, or inland. Like this picture here. Um, so yeah. So th there's one getting airborne. He's picked a nice spot. Um, so I'm really not sure how he managed to slew it round, and unless it was the the building at the end of that very dock, uh, the one yeah. sticking a fair bit out. But uh, no, I'm not sure at all. I, it's a shame because I mean I that would be, uh, I think, for a lot of pilots, that would be the world's most wonderful job. Mm -hmm. Flying a, a light twin around the islands of the Maldives, you know, just gorgeous. Um, so, you know, I hope he hasn't upset his employer too much. Yeah, me too. Me too. That just seems a little uh, embarrassing. Good to, question, to Neil. He asked, do they always take off directly into the wind? No, they definitely do not. A lot of um, busy water uh, areas uh, where uh, water aircraft, float aircraft work from, uh, they have defined runways. We we, uh, we mentioned an accident a while back where they had three defined runways. Also in the Maldives. Um, uh, uh, yeah, but not necessarily um, you know, in every location. So I guess it depends how busy they are and whether it's sort of semi-controlled or whether you're just freelancing it. Hey, Liz, I know we said that we were going to do that video at the beginning, but why don't we just do that at the end of the news segment? Okay. Yep. You, you know, the, works the OCC thing. Okay. I know that one. Yeah, because I completely forgot until now. Anyway. Okay. Well, um, hopefully we'll... You don't, mean this, you don't mean this video, right? No, I don't not mean... That video. Not that video. No, that's, that's oh, not okay. the video I'm talking okay. about. Okay. Well, is that why Rick's not... That's here? why he's Rick... Doing more he's, still, ironing. he's still practicing for the extreme ironing championships. Champ are, world championships. Yeah, world championships. Uh, yeah. I think he uh, yeah. he's the winner for the U.S., uh, so he's going to be representing... Yeah. The U.S. in the extreme ironing competition. Be wearing the big U.S. Of uh, is, are they doing it on a bobsleigh this this year or what? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, water skiing. I think that'd be that'd be water pretty skiing, good. Ironing. Water While skiing. you're on a water skiing, mm -hmm. yeah, that would be. Yeah, 
Very long keep, cord. Keep the shirt damp while you're ironing it. That'll I think it's good. battery powered. Not uh, they don't have the. It's cordless, Liz. Okay. All right. Um, I've got a joke about that. Do you? Do we yeah. later? Later on. Okay. Uh, let's keep moving on. One <laughs> yes. uh, B. Accident, Ethiopian, A359, so 350-900, registration, Echo Tango, Alpha, Yankee, Bravo, performing flight uh, 809 from Addis Ababa, yeah? Addis Ababa. That's it, that too. Uh, depends yeah. on your accent, I guess. Uh, in Ethiopia to Johannesburg, South Africa. Touchdown hard on Johannesburg's uh, runway three right. At 12.57 local time, uh, rejected landing and climbed out about 10 degrees right of runway heading. The aircraft climbed to 8,000 feet, subsequently positioned for an approach to runway 3 left, and landed without further incident about 20 minutes later. The aircraft is still on the ground in Johannesburg, 12 days later. A local source told the Aviation Herald the aircraft suffered a hard landing and a runway excursion and went around. According to ADSB data transmitted by the aircraft, the aircraft was descending at more than 500 feet per minute at the time of touchdown. That's that's not good. Uh, touchdown about 120 meters or 400 feet past the runway threshold, uh, past the runway numbers, but before the first touchdown marker, uh, touchdown zone marker, uh, changed 12 degrees to the right, climbed through 400 feet AGL, about 460 meters or 1,500 feet to the right of the runway center line. Oh, that's not good. Overflying the hangars east of the runway. That's really not good. On November 10th, 2021, South Africa's CAA reported they were notified of, the, of an incident involving an Ethiopian A350-900 on November 6th and dispatched investigators on site to determine scope and size of the investigation. A preliminary report will be published within 30 days. Uh, let's see. On November 18th, 2021, the Aviation Herald received photos of the damage and current repairs. I think that uh, Liz has been showing those, uh, verifying that the aircraft also received damage to its right wingtip as a result of a wingtip strike. Uh, later, on November 18th, South Africa's CAA added that the aircraft encountered a strong crosswind while landing on runway 3, right? It really wasn't that strong. Uh, the right wing tip made contact with the runway surface. The occurrence was rated an accident and is being investigated. And then this uh, uh, has made Simon very unhappy. Ethiopian Airlines so far has not responded to an inquiry by the Aviation Herald, said on November 9th. So let's look at the METARs around uh, the time of the incident. Uh, 320 at 16 knots. So about, what, 70 degrees off? Um, almost a complete crosswind. Yep, almost two, all across. But it's like 280 degrees to 340 degrees, so it was varying a little bit. And uh, But 16 knots, I mean, that's not really that bad. No, it's not, not excessive no. at all. So, yeah, um, we're seeing the damage to the right wing. This is a very new airplane, I'm sure. It's a you know a Dreamliner, so they haven't... I mean, no, a 350. Um, sorry, yes, Airbus. No. Um, Whew, and, uh, yeah, I know. Uh, but uh, there's some some big scrapes on the uh, on the right wing tip. And uh, the... <laughs> and that's... Is that, I guess, after the repair? Because that bottom, that last photo, really uh, shows... I don't even know what to like, say. It's not even a wing tip. everything around. Like it's I don't know if that's during the repair, Jeff, because oh. it looks like they've taped on some 
plastic to protect the oh, okay. uh, open portion. I think they've taken the part of the wing tip off, or they've taken the wing let off, and the trailing edge of the wing uh, area up to the aileron. Gotcha. It's like they've taken that bit off as well. Okay, well, that but, makes me um, happier then. <laughs> yes, it does be. Uh, there's a lot of black marks uh, on the on the winglet, uh, the you know near the wingtip, which I suspect are the scorch marks uh, or uh, um, residue from uh, whatever it was scraping on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it yeah. All- it um, we have to remember. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, uh, no. that um, Joe Berg's um, five thousand feet up. So uh, you know, it's not the uh, simplest of airfields to come into. You just have to remember that your ground speed is going to be higher and uh, the aircraft will have more inertia um, because uh, the air pressure is a little less. So it's not going to be quite as responsive. You're going to be going a little faster than you might have done uh, you know, in your experience. Uh, and it's a little. it takes a little longer to arrest the rate of ascent. So I don't know... This was a, a crew that experienced with high altitude airfields, um, or not. That might be one reason for it. But uh, why they got that that quite severe wing down, I don't know. That wind wouldn't really suggest that. But uh, of course, that's only a that's only a um, you know a, a record of or a, a prediction. It's not the actual conditions that they encountered at the time. Well, how about this? It's a left to right crosswind. Uh, they're crabbing in, and then they kick it out uh, at the you know in the flare to align the fuselage with the runway, and then they didn't anticipate the 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 natural tendency for the airplane to roll away um, from you know left to right from the wind, and didn't apply any aileron correction. To prevent that from yeah, happening, yeah, it, it is possible. Maybe? Although that that's that's such a well uh, known technique. Yeah, does you know? I don't. I wouldn't understand why they wouldn't be able to straighten the airplane adequately. Um, and if you're doing it at the right part of the flare, you know, it, it's quite hard to get that much bank on because you're at the point at which the wheels are touching the ground. So it's usually a, a wheel will touch down and save you. Um, interesting, but uh, I, I, I guess they're not that interested in telling the world about it. <laughs> the yeah, airline involved. And I was thinking, well, you know, perhaps you know they caught a gust or something like that. But again, the uh, METAR didn't have any uh, any uh, information no. or um, observation no of gusting. Um, uh, wind was varying a bit, but that's about it. Liz was uh, telling me, you know, you mentioned about the maybe they weren't used to high altitude um, landing operations, but she said Addis Ababa, or however you were supposed to say that, um, uh, is 7,000 some hundred, uh, 7,000 something. Oh, is it? Feet, oh, well done, Liz. 7,600. Well yeah. So I In guess that they're, case, they should this be. This is quite low. <laughs> right. <laughs> they're, they're not used to such a low altitude uh, runway. No, no, they're no. not. I don't understand that. <laughs> well, yeah. well spotted, Liz. I didn't know that. Yeah. So? Yeah, I had it on the top of my head. I didn't look it up or anything. Huh? Yeah, she said that was just off the top of her head. She didn't even look it up. She didn't need to because she's <laughs> just a veritable encyclopedia of aviation knowledge. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anyway, thanks, Liz. Uh, yeah, so. Well done, staff. Wow. What was that? <laughs> Who's coming? Have we got Rick? Is like Rick that here? Music. I didn't do that. Who did, who did that? Did is, you do is that? Is Steffi here? Where's Steffi? No. <laughs> no? 
Really? Seriously? Who did that? I have, have no way of doing that. It's not me. Oh, got a hacker. I did not do it. I swear to you, I did not. <laughs> it's the ghost in the machine. Um, oh, you know what I think it is? I actually did do that, but I didn't mean to. Um, that was from a previous show, and we uh, uh, were talking about tequila bottles. Um, we're talking oh, about yeah, some yeah. of the Dreamliner in, defects. In Air that. Force One. Yeah, uh, uh, yes. But in a more recent show, and um, there, on uh, one of my tracks in post editing, I put that little tequila thing in there, and um, tequila. I, I didn't see that. I, I didn't have my track display so I could see all the tracks, and there it is. There it is. Okay, that was my bad. Sorry. Okay, let me mute all these other tracks just in case there are any more surprises. Okay. Um, Another incident. Another incident, yes. Um, are you talking about podcasting incident or aviation incident, Liz? No, I'm talking about 1C. Oh, okay. Let's do 1C then. Uh, AviationSafety.net. Um, A350 slid off a taxiway due to poor ice control on taxiways. A Finnair Airbus A350, another A350, departing on a cargo flight to Tokyo, slid partially off a slippery oh, run. Cargo potential. cowboys. Yeah. At uh, I mean those those Finnish pilots are almost as bad as those American cowboy uh, pilots. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah. They slid partially. And they're always quick to finish. <laughs> Ding. Uh. Bam. Rim shot. All right. Uh, they yes, slid, that's what the girls tell me. They slid partially off a slippery ta- ooh slippery taxiway at Helsinki Vanta Vanta. I don't know how you pronounce that. Airport on February 21st, 2021, substandard ice control on taxiways due to pandemic-related staff cuts was a factor, according to the newly released investigation report. Yes, we we can blame it on COVID, right? Due to COVID-19 pandemic and decline in traffic, the airport winter maintenance staff was cut by around 50% in late 2020, which affected ice control and led to non-compliances. Even during periods of major changes, such as those caused by the pandemic, an airport operator must ensure the safety of aircraft operations in the movement area or close portions of the movement area if necessary, or close portions of the movement area if necessary. Operational safety under difficult weather conditions must not be delegated exclusively to aircraft crews, the Safety Investigation Authority. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how the aircraft crews are supposed to go out there and clear all the ice off. I mean, (laughs) really? I guess they're thinking like, you know, mitigation uh, techniques that we might use on slippery surfaces. But, you know, if there is no friction at all, there's not really a heck of a lot you can do. Oh, no, exactly. I I watched one one great friend of mine uh, drift his uh, A340-600 at Heathrow off the taxiway onto the grass because uh, it froze. Sunset, temperature dropped, no... uh, the icing out there, it just rained and uh, the ground just froze and he was doing four knots <laughs> and he did a gentle pirouette, turned about 90 degrees right and drifted right off the taxiway. Just couldn't stop it. Well, <laughs> so, if, he'd been a, yeah. if he had been a cowboy pilot, he would understand how to work those thrust reverse levers and forward ride reverse that, levers and just aircraft. do that tractor thing. And keep it, keep it from going Ride him, cowboy. Ride him, cowboy. He had that name. long, that long <laughs> to, to react. Cowboy. But yeah, I mean, Woo-hoo! absolutely. Yeehaw! Uh, Steph, I think, Lord, you're here. 
need some <laughs> HR input. Oh please. my god! Already? I've been, no, I've been working yeah. all day today. I'm I'm done. Uh, I, I've, yeah. I've worked in my, my fill, my quota. Uh, yep. Okay. okay. Well, we got free rain tonight then, Cowboy. Yeah, do whatever you want. Start your drinking. <laughs> Start your drinking. Oh, <laughs> that first sip. Yeah, that Founders uh, All Day uh, IPA ain't going to do it. You got to get something with more alcohol in it. <laughs> I'm going to need something. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. No, well, that's all I got in my fridge right now, so it'll have to do. All right. Well, Steph, welcome. I'm not going to play your bumper. Uh, and, yeah, don't. Uh, it's fine. Everybody knows you. You're a doctor. You do spinal it's injections. Me. That's why we call her a backstabbing jumper dumper. Jumper dumper. Yeah. Not it's, that she yeah. stabs the backs of parachutists. That's no, but I'm sure that she thinks about it at times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No comment on that. No comment. Um, All right. No the, comment. The innocent will remain. Oh, why is my yes okay? There's well, something wrong. No, my my whole computer was, of course, not on when I got here. Like what? the power was off completely to it, and um, oh, so everything is reloading, including crazy. Evernote at the moment. Um, oh, that never happens. Yay. That's right. We'll finish this one. Yeah, go ahead. I have no idea what any of the things are because it's it's getting there though. Okay. I'll. I'll I'll just yeah, pretend uh, like I know what's Before you move happening. on, Mark Anderson wants yeah, to Yeah, I see that. Mark Anderson's wondering back? if I'm practicing for a job with Oki Air. Yahoo! Oki <laughs> Air! Yahoo! <laughs> oh, wow, that's a good one, Liz. <laughs> You'll have to listen to the audio only uh, to hear Liz's Yahoo. That's a good one. Very hmm. convincing. Do you live in the Canadian Rockies? No, I live with in Canada. With all this Yahooing, you should Canada. open an um, internet um, search engine, I think. What's Yahoo. that? Oh. Okay. Yahoo. <laughs> just, just Yahoo. All right. Yeah, that one. Uh, let's see. Anyway, uh, enough yeah. of this. Okay. Okay. We're we're gonna one, move it on. Oh, wait a minute. Nick is the one that's being serious all of a sudden. Okay. Uh, well, he wants to get to bed before yeah. dawn. Okay. We're back to that glitch in the matrix. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All right. D. News. Have we finish? Have we actually finished this last thing? Well, I don't know. You want to talk more way. about the sliding three fifty? I mean, what else is there to say? They slid off the runway. Uh, I mean, the taxiway. It, it slid off the taxiway. The tarmac. Uh, <laughs> it's just that uh, of interest to the flight crews, um, people didn't realize the seriousness of the incident because the bloke had uh, knocked over a big sign with his uh, number one engine uh, and dented the intake. So uh -huh. the flight crew didn't secure the vo voice recorder, um, which uh, is was an interesting point because, of course, when it comes to investigating the uh, incident afterwards, uh, that's a, a requirement, is to be able to secure the voice recorder and download it uh, for implementing subsequent safety actions. So if you uh, are mm. on board an airplane with a voice recorder and you, something like this happens, um, don't let it get wiped. Make sure it's downloaded. I completely missed the fact that it, he hit something and dented. Uh, oh yeah, he knocked over that. He knocked over that sign. Oh yeah, <laughs> big that sign right there. Sign. Oh, <laughs> the one that you the one can't that's usually read. upright and tells you which yeah. taxiway yeah. you're. <laughs> okay, yeah. I didn't two, even realize that was a sign. The two big uh, <laughs> tracks are his main wheels, and then that sign was bonked over by his engine. Ah, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. And if I'd read the caption there. The aircraft's number one engine knocked over a taxiway sign, 
causing superficial damage. <laughs> oh, well, thanks for catching that. I have another sip of beer, Jim. Yeah, let me, let me drink some more beer. I, I'm sure it'll just get I have better. another Yahoo. I think we got some shimmy damper coming up. Oh, get ready. okay. Uh, let's continue. Uh, are we finished now with that one? Yep. Okay. Two T-38 Talons involved in a deadly incident on Laughlin Air Force Base's runway. One pilot has died. Another is in critical condition and another suffered no major injuries as a result of the mishap. Uh, let's see. Laughlin is one of the Air Force's uh, training bases uh, located in Texas. I believe it's Del Rio uh, this morning at around, well, I don't know. That was a few days ago at around 10 a.m. local time. And at first there was really no uh, or not a lot of information about the incident and uh, but they did know that there was at least one fatality and some injuries, and um, it talks about in this. This is from, by the way, uh, thedrive.com, and obviously the T thirty eight is is uh, you know an, an airplane that has been involved in um, many mishaps in the past. In fact, I think the last one we talked about was one. It was a takeoff a formation takeoff incident at. Uh, Vance Air Force Base in Oklahoma. Um, and I don't know if this one was involving a takeoff or a landing or what, but uh, it, it seems to me that it was a formation flight, I'm guessing, or maybe, maybe it wasn't. Maybe these were just two aircraft, maybe one airplane with the student in it didn't know there was another airplane on the runway. I don't know. We, we Obviously, we don't know many details here, but we have several pictures uh, of the incident, including one um, T-38 uh, completely upside down. I have a feeling that that might be the one with the fatality. Um, another um, uh, T-38 Talon is upright and uh, kind of resting against a, uh, a sign. In this case, it was the Bravo taxiway sign. And uh, yeah, that's sad. Um, hopefully but we'll... But he didn't knock it over? Didn't knock it over, though. So yeah. uh, no need to, you know, mm -hmm. stop the... Uh, Voice recorder. No, there is no voice recorder in the uh, T thirty eight. I don't think so. Anyway, and uh, they're both they're facing in completely opposite directions, or both are aligned with the runway. So you mm -hmm. know, one's been going in one direction, or done a U turn, skidded around. Yeah. So uh, hard to tell. You know, they, they, yeah, it is, uh, and you know, you're right. It could be a, a Formation takeoff, formation landing. Uh, it could be completely two independent aircraft who came together. Um, mm -hmm. No way to tell. Nope. That's sad. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Speaking of that, um, on my graduation dinner at my uh, Air Force uh, training base, um, you know, everybody's family's there, and it's a nice formal occasion. And that that day. Uh, the class that was behind us, um, they were performing flight ops and a solo student in the final turn um, uh, G'd up the airplane too much and, and went into a accelerated stall in the final turn and crashed and killed himself. And uh, mm -hmm. that would kind of put a damper on anything, especially yeah. when you're telling. I remember you telling that you're telling story. telling your family. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah that's pretty that safe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what I do is perfectly fine. It's yeah. fine. Mm, just kidding. Yeah. Um, no, I remember you telling that story before. Yeah. It was said. Yeah, it's a, it's a very, very high-performance airplane, and uh, you have to be careful with it. Um, it uh, doesn't have a huge wing, and 
and it, there's little margin between, you know, being at the right angle of attack in the final flying turn. and not flying. Yeah, flying and not flying. Um, and then when you, you know, if you g it up or you you demand too much, too much angle of attack from that wing, it it doesn't take very long for it to say, okay, I'm not flying anymore. And sometimes it's hard to recognize. Uh, it stays mm-hmm. in a relatively the same attitude, pretty much. Not like most airplanes when you stall them. You know, the the attitude of the airplane lets you know that the thing's stalling. This thing just stays, yeah, just almost straight and level, like it's not stalling. Except for you look at your VVI and notice it's going like 10,000 feet per minute. Way down. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Our instructors always said, okay, they take us up and, you know, show us uh, mice on the wing, which is like a little bit of a stall buffet, and elephants on the wing. Boom, 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 boom. And then look at your VVI. Oh, wow. We're dropping like a brick, aren't we? Yes, we are. Okay. Put some power in, lower the nose a little bit, and start flying again. Anyway, Sorry. Often on a tangent there. Um, no, it's good information. Yeah, I think people uh, most people would not realize that about that particular. That's aircraft. one of the yeah. That's why they. That's one of the first things they do with us when we transition from the basic trainer to the more advanced trainer is like show you you know some of the some of the uh, things you have to watch out for in that airplane. Um, anyway, it's a very thin yeah. wing, isn't it? It is very thin and very stubby. It's like. You know, when you're sitting up there in the front, especially in the front seat, and you look back at it, uh, there is, you know, you have to really look back far to see where the little stubby wings are. And uh, one of the things that uh, they didn't design it this way, I mean, they didn't expect to operate it this way, but um, uh, initially, this is according to people, I don't know who these people are, but, um, you know, people that are supposed to know these things, them, yeah, they said that uh, originally they were having um, us land, like kick out the crab uh, for landing. Um, and then they realized that that, that was going to be a problem. It's going to be, it, it will take some pretty finesse, uh, a lot of finesse on the controls to do that safely. And so they basically said, no, just land it uh, in a crab. So uh, that was better to uh, prevent a situation where you could possibly stall one of the uh, wings and then, end up being a big fireball okay let's continue with uh, item e after 76 years japan has aircraft air carriers again and uh, this is uh, sent in to us by texas Amlish shock and this is also from msn.com and it talks about um well here i'll read it ironically it's all due to help from the country that sank most of japan's carriers in world war ii and then uh, we have a picture here of a U.S. Marine Corps F-35B Joint Strike Fighter landing last month on the Japanese aircraft carrier Izumo, Izumo I guess. Uh, the event marked 76 years since the last time Japan operated an aircraft carrier. Japan will operate at least two carriers by 2030, all with American help. The photo that we're seeing now on the video is uh, one of those is the Japanese carrier and one is the, I think it's the John F. No, it's the Ronald Reagan, uh, USS Ronald Reagan, uh, U.S. aircraft carrier. Um, Let's see. The United States Marine Corps and Japan's Maritime Self-Defense Force made history last month with an epic flight that relaunched Japan's carrier aviation program. The flight involving the Japanese aircraft carrier Izumo and American F-35B fighter jets marked the first time. Okay, we just talked about that. Um, let's see. Um, yeah, the first time since 1945, Japan was one of the first pioneering naval aviation powers. 
but its involvement in World War II saw the destruction of nearly its entire fleet battle force, particularly the carriers. The flight took place on October 3rd in the Pacific Ocean. Two F-35B Joint Strike Fighters operating from Marine Corps Air Station uh, Iwakuni took off from mainland Japan, refueled in midair, and then landed on the ship, uh, the JS Izumo. The F-35Bs landed vertically on Izumo's flight deck and then performed a rolling takeoff. The MSDF shared the video below. Oh, I don't have the video. Sorry. Um, well, let's see. Let's scroll down here. So I think they have quite a few F-35s on order, 42 to be exact, um, on order from the U.S., but the aircraft have not arrived, and Japan's F-35 pilots are not trained in short takeoff and vertical landing operations. The Marine Corps, however, operates two F-35B squadrons at Marine Corps Air Station Iwakuni on the Japanese mainland just south of Hiroshima. After some discussion, Washington and Tokyo agreed on the exercise. Both countries get something out of it. U.S. Marines proved that they can operate from foreign carriers, while Uzumo's crew was able to practice carrier operations in a way it wouldn't otherwise get to do for at least another year. Uh, whether or not this causes China to reconsider its military approach, only time will tell. In the meantime, the 76-year spell has been broken, and Japan's aircraft carrier, Genie, is officially out of the bottle. And that was from Kyle Mizokami uh, at uh, the MSN.com. Excellent. Um, are we doing the uh, F-35 that I Navy lost to this week? I don't think so. Oh, I didn't see that in the... Yeah, no. they've just lost one off uh, the Queen Elizabeth II out in the Mediterranean. Oh. Uh, and the word on the street is um, pilot got airborne with an intake blank uh, in Oh, that's right. Intake. We talked to... Yeah, I, yeah, I read a bit, yeah. perhaps on the BFF chat. Um, but apparently it was pushed in and laying flat, so no one spotted it. But it took the engine out and mm. uh, he ejected shortly after takeoff. In fact, it was so close to the carrier that his parachute got tangled up with the uh, edge of the carrier. Um, and um, you guys are going to have to help us salvage it because, of course, uh, no one wants anyone else dragging it up from the Mediterranean. Uh, and uh, you're the closest um, military unit with decent uh, salvage gear. So there's nothing secret or anything on it, though, right? <laughs> no, 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 not at all. It's a, at all. nothing to see here. Nothing <laughs> yes. at all. Uh, just yeah. get the plane out of the ocean and uh, move along. Yeah, exactly mm. right. But uh, another little bit of F thirty five disaster. Well, let's see. That's two military aviation news items. In wow, the, uh, sure, we've made somebody happy. Yeah. yeah, gray noisy things. Yeah. Yep. All right. Um, and then finally, no, not finally, almost finally. Um, almost. A pilot single-handedly saves one million pounds worth of small air, and that's in money, uh, worth of small aircraft from Blaze at Bodmin Flying Club. Is that right? Bodmin? Bodmin, yes. It's uh, down uh, sort of Cornwall Way, uh, bottom left-hand corner of uh, the United Kingdom. Okay. It's, that's what well, David sent this in to us. Flying instructor has saved around one million pounds worth of small planes from a hangar fire at Bodmin Airfield. He single-handedly pushed eight aircraft to safety outside after calling the emergency services. 
Andy Wilkins had been staying in a caravan on site when he heard the loud bang. Despite flying, not the airplane, correct? Um, caravan is. Oh no, a caravan camper. like a trailer. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah, like a little trailer. Not, no one of these. Oh my god, I've stayed in a Wait, no, just kidding. Would, <laughs> would, would uh, save a caravan? Just let it burn. That makes what? me wonder whether or not um, when when we when <laughs> what kind of caravan are we talking? When Steph about talks now? about flying a caravan, flying one. I, when <laughs> Steph talks about flying a caravan, I wonder if people imagine her flying a little trailer. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so well, I think at any rate, it's a fast one. Yeah. So. What we do uh, is Liz still there? Uh, yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, I think right, we do I'm have some um, uh, some. Yes, uh, there we go. Uh, pictures overlays. Uh, there is the inside of the hangar there, and uh, I believe the next one's from the outside looking at the burning hangar. And uh, let's see if we can find some more information about what happened here. Despite flames and smoke spreading across one of the hangars, Andy's next priority after dialing 999 uh, was to move the planes outside to safety. The smoke had become pretty intense by the time Cornwall Fire Service had arrived, which is when they stopped Andy. And he explained how important the aircraft is to the flying club uh, in Cornwall, saying, I just got them out. I'm a bit stiff this morning. And uh, let's see. By moving the planes out of the next door hangar where the fire had started, uh, he had created a fire break. Uh, chairman of the Bodman Flying Club, Darren Fern, said that Andy had managed to save millions of pounds worth of aircraft. And Darren comment, commended the fire services for doing a brilliant job. Brilliant! But stated that by Andy's actions of emptying the hangar next door, it saved all the other airplanes. Uh, the fire brigade did a brilliant job of containing it, but emptying the hangar that was next door to it gave us a fire break that saved all the others. So to do that all virtually on his own was an amazing job. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. That is good. Sometimes you just gotta, gotta act, react and act. Yeah. Yeah. Tony has a comment. Tony here. says, isn't a caravan no, a string of camels? <laughs> well, like, yeah. Yes. It's also <laughs> yeah, that, true. I suppose. A chain smoker. Yeah. Oh, not that kind of camel. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, when, uh, um, uh, yeah, yeah, Salem's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Camel City is Winston Salem. Yeah, Are, yeah. weren't they just called camels? I yeah, they were, were but oh, okay. Winston Salem has an informal nickname of uh, uh, Camel City. Ah, or um, R.J. Reynolds. Okay, um, gotcha, gotcha. Uh -huh. Um, and now what half does, the uh, people listening to this have no idea what we're talking about. What does opposing bases call? Uh, Call the uh, call that airport. Uh, tobacco? No, uh, cigarette or tobacco? Cigarette. I can't remember. Cigarette. Cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> I um, always screwed up. I want to call it tobacco, but it's actually they call it cigarette. Sorry, yeah. guys. I promise I listen. I just I can't get my stuff together. Just can't get it straight. <sighs> I can't get it straight. Yeah. All right. Uh, by the way, uh, I wasn't trying to be rude to Cessna caravan uh, drivers. I was thinking more of the uh, short Sky Van that actually looks. Oh like no, that's a that's an ugly airplane. With yeah. wheels. Sorry, with wings, yeah. <laughs> Actually, yeah, spend some time in the right seat of one of those and the, the sky van. It's um that's yeah, exactly how I would describe it. Yeah, it kinda like, is listening, it's really horrible. Yeah, it's it looks great. it kinda looks like the uh, the shorts three thirty or three sixty. Three thirty is it is, it's word, just yeah. a shorter version of it. Yeah. 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 Shorter and uglier. C is the C seven, I think is the Yes, you're quite right. C seven. Yeah. I should know since I did spend some time, a little bit of time flying one <laughs> from the right seat. Yeah. 
Very cool. Well, you know, uh, the Jump last thing too. that's we, actually kind of fun. The, the last thing we want to do in the news before we move to the uh, getting to know segment is to mention the fact that uh, we are recording this on Wednesday, uh, the 24th of November. Tomorrow is the 25th of November, which is uh, Thanksgiving Day. Liz is saying Thanksgiving Eve. Yes, we're recording on Thanksgiving Eve. Uh, Tomorrow is the U.S. uh, celebration of Thanksgiving. And uh, it is one, in fact, today I think is one of the busiest travel days of the year. I think Sunday might be the actual I'm going to blame that for my tardiness getting here tonight because I left work at a reasonable time and it took forever because everyone started their holiday and they're all out on the roads in droves and driving poorly. I was out there too. You know, you know who you are. Stop driving poorly. Just fess up. You. you know who you are. <laughs> all right. Um, so um, at the last minute here, Tim, I think earlier today, Tim Van Ram uh, said that or sent us some um, some news regarding um, a special report done by, I think, CBS uh, News and uh, has some video here of some behind the scenes at um, Acme's sister airline and a little peek into the operations uh, control center. It's a rarely seen room, a nerve center so crucial it never closed during the pandemic. Delta Airlines 24-7 Operational Control Center, or OCC, is staffed by up to 300 people. Tonight, monitoring more than 463,000 passengers with 97,000 flying through Atlanta alone. Something goes wrong on an aircraft. Who does the pilot call? The Ghostbusters instantly messages me. Chris Nunez is a dispatcher who plans, then tracks dozens of flights at once. If a passenger is disruptive, he has the authority to divert the plane. I am the safety person on the ground, so I share the responsibility with the captain to ensure that the flight is safe at all times. And this right here is critical. Nunez works with people like retired Marine Captain Mark Garner, who after 14 years just earned Thanksgiving off. It's competitive just to get to Delta as a pilot. There's also stiff competition to work in the OCC, which today is overseeing 4,000 flights. Heather Heitzman leads 26 meteorologists and says posts here are prestigious, with staffers staying until retirement. She's been here 16 years. Out west, we do have the next system that we're watching that's starting to kick up uh, in the Northern Rockies. How many flights have you had to cancel this week? As a 36-year veteran of the company, Barnett Smith manages fleet schedules and says this time of year is intense. There's a little more pressure to get everybody home for Thanksgiving. Now, Delta expects to fly more than 478,000 passengers tomorrow and more than 550,000 on Sunday. That's a pandemic record for the airline. Also, United and American Airlines expect the Sunday after Thanksgiving to be their busiest travel days, Nora, since the pandemic began. Really interesting to see how it all works. Errol Barnett, thank you. Thank you. I love you. He asked, uh, how many flights have you had to cancel? Oh, zero. Well, zero. it was one minute past midnight. <laughs> so in the 60 seconds that we've been on the air, we haven't had to cancel any. <laughs> now, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be a spokesperson for that company. <laughs> no, just a, uh, no, no, I, I hear that they do efficient. a pretty damn good job of 
Yeah, I, yeah that I, I, I hear, yeah. and you know, it looks very impressive in terms of the amount of coordination and technology. And well, I've I've been in there. I got an invitation to go in there, and Have I you now? Uh, yeah, and well, I the only thing that let the whole too. experience down. <laughs> was one of the captains of one of the aircraft sent a very rude ACARS message <laughs> in. And I thought, if this is the standard of professionalism I can expect from this particular airline, I'm a bit disappointed. But, uh, hmm. Thank God he deals with that. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, and I, that I, don't know, I don't know who that was. There was a uh, there, there was a comment made uh, there about how highly competitive it is to uh, – uh, get uh, get to be a Delta pilot, and then Liz said in my ear, and I agree with her. It's even more demanding and uh, competitive to become an Acme pilot. Just saying. Mm. Well, we're a smaller oh, outfit, aren't we? Yes. So well, there's so few of them. More exclusive. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. So. Okay. That is it for our news on this segment, and that means it's time now for getting to know us. Feels like we just did this a couple of days ago. I think we did. Oh, actually, it was just a f- few days ago that we recorded uh, episode 498. Hey, I'd like to say, and I was going to look this up and I neglected to do so, so I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to put in uh, APG 400 and see if I can determine... Nope, I'm getting all kinds of search results that have nothing to do with our show. What do you want, the date of that? Uh, yeah, the date of the uh, of 400. If you can find so that out for by. me, Liz, stand thank by. you. Yep. Um, because uh, we are on 499, and uh, so we are basically 100 episodes in. To uh, We're about to leave the 400s and start the 500th episode in the 500s. And, uh I'm thinking it's, it's got to be into the millennium. Got to be close to two years ago uh, when we did 400. Just a minute, I'm getting there. Okay, getting she's there. still looking. Our, our staff is still researching this. Mm. Let's see if I can get it before she does. Okay, go to apgairlinepilotguy.com. And I've already been search. on that page today, and I'm not going back there to look for more things. Okay, um, <laughs> 400. And I got it. Oh, you remember that beautiful... Uh, art that uh, Nick did for us. Uh, it of was course. a 727 with all the words, the word art, oh, uh, 727. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was beautiful. And uh, anyway, uh, that was on November 19th, 2019. So yes. just over two years 2019, ago. Yep. Uh, wow. 2019. Doesn't time fly? Yeah, it really it does. does. We didn't really do anything special for the 400th. Um, no. Uh, although I did receive... Out. A very beautiful uh, 727 pa- uh, picture print with uh, some lovely um, messages uh, from several of you in the uh, community. And uh, I cherish that print. And uh, I'll have that hanging up somewhere soon. It's not hanging right now. It is toilet. No, it's not in my toilet. Well, that's kind of a place <laughs> of honor. Then you can look at oh, it. Oh, well, that's true. It's frequently a, throughout yeah, the day. Right. A throne. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, Brent Wright, um, for some reason, he's, uh, uh, several minutes back, uh, behind here in the show is asking if you can eject from a T-38. Yes, you can. Um, yeah, it has a very good ejection system. Anyway, uh, distraction. Squirrel. Squirrel. Um, Squirrel. 
Let's uh, talk about uh, what has been happening uh, again, as we mentioned. Um, there we go. Squirrel. Uh, <laughs> since the last episode. Is my, is my, uh, am I breaking up or freezing? No. Nope. Nope. Okay. Because you guys were Crystal on my clear. end. Huh. That's interesting. Because we're doing that on purpose. Hardwired. Oh, that, stop that. Um, Second time today. Uh, anyway, um, so it was just Friday. They were recording uh, 498. We're on 499. And then next week, a week from t- day after tomorrow, nope. is yep. right 500. And uh, we've talked about it quite a bit. And uh, looking forward to that. We're going to be doing a simulcast uh, from a venue in Atlanta and a venue over at Farnborough, um, internet or not international Farnborough airport, uh, the uh, museum there. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that maybe uh, because it will be our last opportunity to talk about it before we actually do the 500th recording. Very so, true. Yep. Lots of stuff happening in the background. I'm not sure if the, if the uh, rooms uh, and the special room rate is still available or not, we'll continue to put that in a link in the show notes. If you're interested in uh, uh, joining us in Atlanta and getting a room, get a room. Um, get a room. By the way, Steph, got your room. So yep. you're covered. Oh. Um, okay. And uh, that's good to know. Yes. Um, I still have to get a room for Saturday night. Well, but I can't that's help not you in there. Atlanta. It's not in Atlanta anyway, so don't worry about it. Okay. That's just on my to-do list. <laughs> okay. Good job Jeff didn't book it for Saturday night in Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I knew that she had to leave early Saturday morning. So Yeah, I'm leaving she, early Saturday morning. Yeah. Tell her I can book it for her if she yeah. gives me the details. Liz says uh, she can book it for you. She, Liz said she can mm-hmm. book that for you, uh, if you if you give her some information. But uh, it's a travel. Uh, no, it's it's tricky. I, thank you. I appreciate you being my personal travel agent, Liz. But I got to do some research as to where I actually need to be in the town that I'm traveling to. And I don't know yet. I haven't. Uh, yeah. I'll have time to do that this weekend. Hopefully. I don't know. Everything where I want to be is sold out. So I need to reconsider my options. You lead such a boring life, Steph. <sighs> you have no idea. Yeah. Anyway. She's a big yawn. What else? Let's see. I have not flown since we did the last no i was on a trip when we did the last episode right mm-hmm. okay i think so yeah i came home on saturday morning um did some singing saturday afternoon and then i was at the cabin sunday monday tuesday and today uh and ended up going into uh roswell at um my uh church to sing at a funeral um this morning because I needed a male voice to uh, accompany a couple of the uh, female voices. And uh, anyway, and then uh, drove back up and here I am. And I picked up some flying for tomorrow through Saturday, um, figuring that uh, this is a good opportunity for someone like me who doesn't really have any uh, family obligations at the moment and uh, to do some flying and maybe give another pilot an opportunity to be home with their family. So I'm going to be flying tomorrow uh, between Atlanta and Chattanooga and then back. Really long flight. <laughs> it's like 20, 25 minutes or something. And then uh, heading over or up to White Plains, New York. And uh, we have... HPN? Sub, yeah, HPN. Somebody near mm-hmm. and dear to all of us. Uh, our professional radio TV award-winning guy that does our... Uh, announcements at the beginning of the show. Who will um, be in Atlanta? Who lives up in that area? He'll be in Atlanta um, 
on the uh, on Friday, the third of December, to uh, do a live announcement for the show. And and in the mm-hmm. meantime, I decided it would be a good idea for me to maybe go up there and rehearse with him and make sure he gets it right. Uh, so I'm That's going to wise. see Radio Roger uh, in White Plains uh, tomorrow. So I'm going to get to have Thanksgiving dinner with his family. So I'm looking forward to that. That's great. I'm so, so happy. Um, and then uh, I think... Absolutely. Uh, Give him my very best, please. Likewise. I'll do please that. Wish him a happy Thanksgiving. And then I'll be in Meltdown Town on uh, Friday. Uh, <laughs> MDT. That's uh, Harrisburg. Oh, okay. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> somebody told me that uh, last week. I thought, Meltdown Town. That's funny. I've not heard this that before. This Three Mile Island is uh, right next yeah. to Harrisburg, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. And uh, that's where they had the <laughs> I thought it had something to do react- with Hershey's chocolate. No, it has nothing to do with Hershey's chocolate. It has everything to do with that nuclear reactor that... Uh, was yeah, kind of melting like down. <laughs> so I really like 77 or something. Yeah. yeah it was in the seventies, I think. Um, but I, I had the same reaction stuff. I went meltdown to, Oh, oh, that's oh, pretty funny. That's really funny. Actually <laughs> too soon. I'm never going to forget that. Now I did not know that airport identifier and now I do. And or well, I, cause I always struggle it, when I, I see MDT it. and I think, okay, I know <laughs> where that is. It doesn't, but now it doesn't make you think Harrisburg. No, but now, now I, I'll know exactly. Oh yeah. Meltdown town. That's Harrisburg. <laughs> anyway, I'll be there on Friday and then uh, home on Saturday. So there, that's it for me. Um, things I believe are going pretty well as far as the uh, uh, leading up here to the 500th. Um, and I think I've gotten all the details, um, you know, ironed out with the uh, folks at the Renaissance Concourse Hotel. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We still have room if you... Uh, uh, make sure you contact uh, Nick to get a ticket. Oh, wait, no, you don't need a ticket. <laughs> no, don't do that, please. Yeah. Um, We're no. full. If you're coming to Atlanta, we have lots of space. Yeah, we'll, we'll make room. You, you don't need to, to contact them. We'll uh, make you just room. pitch up. Yeah, just We'll pitch get up. really close to each other and yeah. share germs if we have yes. to. Yay, COVID. Exactly. Anyway. Just kidding. How's everything going over there uh, for the 500th at uh, Farnborough? Uh, well, we're sold out. <laughs> we've done good. Okay. Uh, actually, the reason we've sold out is partly because of the fantastic interest, uh, and thank you very much indeed, uh, UK APGS, uh, and partly because they suddenly slapped a, uh, a limit on the number of seats. We assumed we would have a few more, uh, but I did hear that they're um, – they're going, they were bulking a little bit at the numbers we were bringing. So they said, oh, please, no more, no more. We, we're concerned that we might have too many people. I don't know whether they're worried about the strength of the structure, uh, possibly the fire escapes. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, fact is that uh, I can't sell, sell any more or give away any more golden tickets. Oh, he slept. Uh, he we've said been sell. Limited. What do you do? How much are you yes, selling I, these things for, Nick? Oh, shh, shh. <laughs> you they, slipped yeah. up. They're gold tickets. What do you What do you think I'm selling them for? <laughs> God, lovely. Um, uh, yeah, 31. Pounds. We're going to have 31 people at our end uh, total, so that'll be absolutely fantastic. And great news today. Uh, it looks like Captain Al uh, is not coming. Uh, so I'm only joking. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. He, uh, he got... He got his he got his time off. His roster bid worked, and he's coming. He was the only one of the panel here that I was a bit concerned about. Um, We're always so, concerned uh, about Captain L. We're concerned <laughs> yes. for other reasons. Yeah, yes, actually, are. I need to get in touch with him. So if you're listening, yes, to this, you Al, do. Please. I will and be you in need touch to. You've only got please. a few days. 
to get that all done. There's so much time. Don't worry. I know. It's great. Well, you only need 10 minutes. That's, that's five. all it takes. Really five. Five minutes. Well, you're going to squeeze it into said. five minutes, aren't you? Anyway, uh, we're <laughs> no looking forward to seeing that video. Um, now, uh, for those who are coming to Farnborough, um, uh, you should have all had your golden tickets. And, in fact, I think everybody that asked for one has got one. So if you applied and you haven't heard, just check, um, like Dave, just check your junk uh, <laughs> Folder wow. in your email. Check oh. your <laughs> Nick has a very suspicious email address, so it just goes yeah, straight exactly to your junk. Yeah, exactly right. So, yeah, check your junk uh, because, <laughs> because it might be there. <laughs> that is something totally different. <laughs> yes, I know. Email. I was looking at <laughs> Jeff. Jeff checking. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, HR has the you. night off, folks. What can Absolutely, I say? Absolutely. Yeah, hey, and yeah, if you want to help me check my junk in Atlanta, <laughs> show up on yeah. the 3rd. Well, if you – if you stand up, we can yeah. all check your junk, Jeff. Um, and uh, because it could be residing there, uh, so don't think you've been forgotten, and and don't uh, fail to pitch up. Uh, so if you're in any doubt, um, I, I will, um, you know, uh, confirm that I have sent one to you. Um, if you uh, write to me, uh, old dot pilot at ntlworld.com, and. Um, the other thing I was going to say uh, was I will be contacting everybody that I have uh, given a golden ticket to uh, and also the uh, co-presenters at this end of the world uh, with a few details about where it is, where to park, um, you know, time to pitch up, time to that we'll have to depart by, etc. cetera. Uh, so you'll get some details. So no need to write to me. They will arrive in a day or two. Or three, speaking possibly of, four. Speaking of parking. Sometime before Friday. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, the parking at the Renaissance um, is not free, just to warn you. Uh, but we did get a break on the normal $23 a night parking fee. 14 Ooh, Just pay uh, us directly. $14. $35 for the, uh, bargain. Yeah. Sorry. Or just $100 yeah. for the two nights if you want. No, it's up to you. Yeah. Um, but anyway, just to kind of warn you about that. Um, and if you want to try to figure out where to park away to, so you don't have to pay for that. Good luck. I don't know. I'd like to know myself. Yeah. Uh, Brian, uh, where have you been, man? Uh, he, he asked, will there be a second chicken nugget contest? How many have we had already? Yeah, second. We probably. No, there's way more than two. We've I done know. at least three. Three. We've sure done three at least. Yeah. yeah. We've done three. three. And we did one at... Uh, Wings, uh, not wings of a pit. We did one at yes. Oshkosh. Mm. Yeah, and we did and one. Us, you guys yeah. did one at the uh, one at PTUK, PTUK too. 200. Yeah, 200. Yeah. 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 Been a bunch. Mm-hmm. There's, would, there's been some chicken nugget eating contests. Four. Yeah. Yeah. And we did it yeah. For, yeah, three, maybe four. Maybe four. So anyway, I was All just I know is he's got, the, he's got the trophy right now, and that's not cool. So I need to win that back. It's mm. definitely not cool. In fact, I think it's in several pieces. Um, <laughs> it was in several pieces. For those pieces, who to are fair, coming to Farnborough, I was going to put a little taster in of what you can see in the museum. Is now a good time for you, Jeff? A taster? Chicken nuggets? Yes. Oh. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Are you ready? I am ready. Well, Good we're man. now down in the main part of the museum. Doesn't look like a chicken nugget. Bottom of the uh, uh, no, not school not. building, and I'm standing in front I'm of one of the original flight Whittle engines. This is the W two seven hundred, 
which was oh, flown in the this. E-2839 as part of the early work on jet engines. Now, Whittle used centrifugal compressors because the understanding at that time from, from uh, superchargers was how the centrifugal compressors worked, and it was a short-term solution which went right through when Rolls-Royce took over, of course, it went through into the early 50s, and then everything moved towards uh, axial compressors, which REE were working on at the time. And that was a, a bigger problem and not so such a quick solution. So a wartime solution provided this. And he uses a very simple system with quite a complex um, burner system, which wasn't very efficient, but, you, but worked at the time. And that was all they could really do. In the, in the war, they were trying to work as quickly as they can and get the system working. So this worked, uh, this flew for a number of hours in, uh, in, in one of the models we have here is of the system. We also have some models of the Mars M52, which was going to be the supersonic aircraft. And we have one of the original models from Mars of 1944 which came to us via various people who obtained them during the war. So the, the, the genesis of the jet engine is really from the Whittle to the axial compressor, then through to the work that went on at National Gas Turbine at Pystock, just over the road from Farnborough, where they had two uh, systems, really, a research area and a test cell. So the test cell started off with number one test cell, which was uh, reheat and uh, rocket work, then into numbers two, three, three west, which were gas turbines, to number four, which was the Concorde. And that could run an engine at 50,000 feet, minus 60 degrees, at Mark II, with about 10 degrees of yaw. It was one of the best test facilities in the world. Well, it was the best. And that has now all closed down and a large number of the artifacts have come over here. We have a number of research engines, a number of compressors, a number of turbines. So almost the whole history we can describe here and along with all the reports we have and the photographs allow us to look at a complete history of aviation from about 1915 onwards right through to 1992. One of the most important tools in aviation research is the wind tunnel. So the work can be done under controlled conditions before you build anything, before you fly. And the wind tunnels at Farnborough were some of the best in the world again, with a, a slow speed, transonic, supersonic, hypersonic, all the tunnels were here at Farnborough. This here is one of the wind tunnel models that was used as one of the last wind tunnel models used at Bedford. The tunnels moved from Farnborough to Bedford uh, during the change in the 1950s when Bedford became the main flying area. And this was an option which looks very much like an F-35 and uh, was being worked on. Here you can see all the pressure tappings which measure the flow over the wing and that can be made at various angles, speeds, uh, so you can get, then begin to calculate the lift and calculate and look at the problems will come before you start to build the aeroplane. And these are all different types of models from small models, 
which really come from the super the high speed tunnels and then the low speed tunnels are air aircraft made out of wood so consequently and now on, of course in uh, composites fiberglass and, and and carbon fiber but all the work aerodynamics is probably one of the most important areas because in in the end if it doesn't work you don't stay in the air and uh, if if they're difficult if it's a difficult aircraft to fly it makes it quite complex so the handling qualities and everything can be looked at in the tunnel and transferred before you actually build the thing and probably the most important thing is you can repeat the the measurements one after another in exactly the same conditions which when you're flying of course you can't because the the winds change the speeds change the the density of the air changes so consequently and the farmer now still has a large low speed tunnel the 5 meter tunnel which goes up to about uh, uh, for landing speeds and that's used for all the areas where CFD and computer modeling is not very good high speed work is good for um, modeling low speed work is very difficult when you got everything hanging down the wheels the flaps the slats all the interferences aren't aren't well modeled yet they're getting better but you still need the tunnel tunnels are still used for it so here in the museum you will be very welcome to come at any time to have a good look round it's a science museum we have a very large spread of sciences space uh, instrumentation photographic enormous that and you'll be very welcome to come here at any time and have a good look round and we'll be glad to help you find if if you ever need to go into the archive just email us and we can find something if in 1915 if you want to know about the poppet valve problems in an RAF1A engine in 1915 we can tell you what is what the problems were well i want to know oh, if there's going to be oh thank goodness i was really worried that i'd never learn about that i was wondering the most important question for me is is there beer and crisps uh yes there is going to be beer and sandwiches okay. Um, at Miami, Rick, I'm sure, would be in seventh heaven uh, wandering around that place. And uh, thanks very much indeed to everyone there who's uh, shown us such a warm welcome. And we can't wait uh, to uh, have our 500 there. And thanks very much indeed to Graham for uh, standing there and giving us a little bit uh, of information about the museum. And we have a guy just like that guy. Uh, that's going to be over at the Renaissance concourse uh, telling us about the history of fried chicken. <laughs> you got Colonel Sanders? Sanders? Oh, no, he's dead. Yeah. No, the Popeye's fried chicken magnet. Oh. Whoever that is. Mr. Popeye. I don't know <laughs> Mr. Who that Popeye. Is. <laughs> Mr. Popeye. I feel like oh, he was a spinach kind Popeye of the sailor Fred man. Popeye. <laughs> this yeah. is before uh, Popeye got on that whole health kick. Ah, I gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Uh, First it's fried chicken, then spinach. Gotcha. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Uh, let's be serious. Uh, that man uh, is is amazing. And is he going to be actually in present or present at the time of the? Yes, uh, he recording? will. He, he, I, I suspect he'll be wandering around uh, because it's not a normal. They're opening the museum, especially for us. It's not a normal opening day. Uh, they uh, have got some volunteers who will uh, be there to uh, show everyone around. If you come up in the afternoon say um, about half past two onwards probably, um, then uh, they will have people around there. And uh, the scientists uh, of which um, 
uh, Graham is one, uh, are just fascinating. Of course, you know, more knowledge, uh, you know, brains the size of a planet, they're unbelievable. Uh, but, um, yeah, they're, they're all there, and they can talk the heck the hind leg of a donkey, no problem. Mm. Very interesting people. Excellent. All right. Well, I cannot wait uh, for our next little get-together, which will be a week Absolutely. from this Friday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's Steph been doing? Mm. Um, well, last time I saw you guys, I did some running. Yeah. Um, that was fun. During the show. Yeah. Drunk running. Right. Drunk the running, show. yes. Sorry. Drunk <laughs> running. <laughs> <laughs> I only had two beers. I mean, they were both like seven and seven point eight percent or something. Um, that's so that's actually like necessary before you necessary before you do a, a night trail run because otherwise you're too nervous that you're going to trip over everything. As you do. And you're all um, it just relaxes you a little bit. Yeah. You know? So you're less concerned about you know spraining your ankle or hitting yeah. your head Woo-hoo. on a tree. You're just really not concerned about anything. Uh, you're just really not concerned about anything. Makes. <laughs> Makes it go by faster. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was fun. Um, then I spent all day Saturday and Sunday flying, so that was good. I hadn't done that for a couple weekends because of other um, engagements. So, yeah, I think um, yeah, I showed up on Saturday at the drop zone, and I ended up flying um, just because they were – Short staff in other places um, by myself for the first um, few loads, even though I'm not usually the um, – it's not usually my day to fly, per se. I'm just there for to help out and assist if they find themselves a little shorthanded. So that was good. And kind of the same thing on Saturday. We took a plane up to maintenance on sa- – uh, or on Sunday. Sorry, I took a plane to maintenance on Sunday night, which is a lot nicer in the, uh, the winter because um, we finished flying much earlier. So even though it's – Dark and cold, you end up getting back not at midnight from taking a plane to over to maintenance for a hundred hour inspection and whatnot. And um been a busy week, work week wise. Um obviously we're coming up to the holiday here in the US tomorrow, and um it's also that time of year for um uh, in healthcare where everyone has met their deductible and would like to get everything done before the end of the year. So um yeah, just trying to accommodate as many people as possible, get them seen, get their procedures done. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been busy. All right. So you've been busy uh, working. Work, huh? work, 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 work. Very much looking forward to some time off for the weekend and then see you next weekend. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I'm not cooking. So I, I've delegated that to other people and I'm just going to show up at their house and hope that the food's good. Excellent. I mean, if it's Demand not, it. are there lots of restaurants mm-hmm. with big turkeys? Mm, there's some. It's more common than it used to be to be able to go out and get a Thanksgiving dinner, like at a restaurant. Just a big pile of chicken nuggets it's in possible. the shape of a turkey. But we, yeah. In Atlanta, they or have the big chicken, chicken nuggets. But, uh, not the big yeah, turkey. I was going to say. They don't have a big just have will, some chicken nuggets. I will uh, be, enjoy, be enjoying the company of friends and family tomorrow. I'm just not Excellent. the one doing Good. all of the cooking. Well, have have a great celebration. Thank you. We'll do. And are you going to be bringing those uh, Reaper? Uh, I don't know that I have any chips or whatever. Sad, they call sad those situation. Things. Yeah. Yeah. The one I'd, chip I'd stay away from it. Yeah. I thought done, a Reaper a was a drone. Uh, it is, and it's also a grim. It's person. also a type of pepper. That yeah. is. Oh, so this, this drone fires peppers at people. 
<laughs> there it is. There's a reaper. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> oh, look at him. Mm. Yes. That's, that's what, exactly that's what, what that you pepper. wish will come after you eat a, a reaper yeah, pepper. You feel like you're done. <laughs> like, just take me now. I don't care. I want it to end. End it soon. Yeah. Uh, love it. Uh, well, mm-hmm. Steph likes putting herself through pain. That's why she's a, one of the hosts of the show. <laughs> yes, very true. Hey, you don't need to agree with that. All right. Um, to. Too late. Yeah, too late. Okay. Did well, I say that out loud? I don't know. you did. Yeah, it's time for us now to talk about our coffee fund, which is your way to support the show financially. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. It's the Coffee Fund. Your way to support the show financially. A couple of different ways to do that. One is the Coffee Fund Classic Method, the OG Coffee Fund Cadre. And uh, it's basically a PayPal donation page. You can do a one-time, one-off donation, or you can do recurring donations. Uh, David Lieb. Uh, does that. Uh, he uh, has made a recurring donation. And we do have a overlay there, Liz, if you want to th- throw that up there. Oh, yes, sorry. Uh-huh. That's all right. And yes, uh, also, we got a special uh, donation for the 500th from Lima Zulu or LZ, Landing Zone, whatever you want to call it. He didn't want anybody to, uh, he didn't want to use his real name. I understand that. And uh, Patreon is the other way that you can support the show. And we have no new patrons this week. So if you want to learn more about how you can participate in this wonderful group of, uh, with uh, this wonderful group of people, head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. We will too. message we have some feedback for you we're gonna start with this one and it is from greg the uh big ass fan big ass fan company guy (laughs) now it's funny because uh somebody sent us some uh some um lz yeah LZ lz sent us some feedback and uh and uh one of the things he said is that uh Okay, uh, I hear you talk about the big ass fan company. I just thought that that was like a an alias uh, for like a company like General Electric Jet Engines or something like that. And then it goes, oh, Pratt, wait like, a minute, like Acme? No, yeah. no, that actually exists. No, it really is the big ass <laughs> fan company. I know. You go well. It couldn't possibly be a real company name. It is. Uh, yeah. And, uh, Absolutely. the other thing he said, uh, is that, uh, you know, when we talk about we, the introduction, uh, for Dr. Steph, we talk about the, uh, real backs- big asses. Yeah. Big ass. I mean, the, uh, uh, what do we call ba- backstabbing jumper dumper. Uh, and, uh, he, he thought it was just like, because she was dumping, uh, people out of her airplane. No, she was kicking them, kicking them in yeah, the butt, kicking them in the butt or something, but that's not the backstabbing we're talking about. She actually stabs people in the no. back with the uh, syringes. Yes. Okay. Not really stabbing, but you know, 
No, it, injecting's a injecting. Better word yeah, whatever. For that no, I like stabbing. Yeah, stabbing. You're stabbing. Anyway, that, that just came came from the explain your job poorly um, <laughs> yes. trend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, leave it to us to uh, to do that for you. Um, anyway, Greg, who does work at the big ass fan company, really in Lexington, Kentucky, sent us this, uh, NTSB sites, Tamarack mod in crash. The company though, not happy about this. Uh, I, he said, I think you recall you. I think I recall you guys talking about this crash on one of the episodes. I tried to find the episode, but I couldn't, or at least a similar crash because I remember the Atlas, uh, acronym. Could this be the end of this mod on aircraft? Now, you know what? We talked about this mod, this Tamarack mod. I'm not sure if we talked about it on the on a jet, though. Um, I, th- I thought it was a different type of airplane that the Tamarack uh, system on the one we were talking about. It was a different different incident. Uh, but no matter. Um, this, I guess there was a crash of a Citation jet uh, that we're showing the picture of right there. Um, Tamarack, um, makes this active winglet technology, um, that, um, changes the camber of the uh, camber surfaces attached to the wing to alleviate stress induced by winglets. This enables installing winglets without adding complex additional structure to the wing spars, which would be necessary due to the added load induced by the winglets. The NTSB wrote in its report that the left TACS, malfunctioned shortly after takeoff the board wrote that it became stuck trailing edge up on the left wing for reasons that could not be determined the company responded the forensic evidence collected in the investigation indicates that the load alleviation system was indeed operational there are inconsistencies within the report that do not support the conclusion published by the ntsb as an example tamrick cited what it claims are discrepancies in the bank angle at which the pilot should have been alerted among others for its part the ntsb wrote the investigation found that five uncommanded role incidents have been reported to either the European Union Aviation Safety Agency or the Federal Aviation Administration involving airplanes equipped with Atlas. The company said on Thursday, Tamarack intends to request the NTSB reconsider its finding as per its own procedures. Tamarack will provide a more detailed response after further consideration of the NTSB's recent announcement. So sounds like they're kind of ask, asking for um, a... Uh, a stay, uh, a, a reinvestigation or something uh, like, let's take another look here. Cause I think we, we think that you got this wrong. Yeah. They, they're, I guess, uh, inevitably fighting their corner because otherwise the liability is going to be pretty uh, extensive. Um, so I, I guess the NTSB, the being the fair people they are, will probably do that whether they change their findings or not. I don't know. I don't know, but, um, yeah, again, we did talk about an incident with the Tamarack mod, uh, but I, I don't think it was this one. So anyway, thanks Greg mm-hmm. for thinking about us when you, uh, saw this news item. Hey, uh, this was somewhat, oh yeah, we'll see you in Atlanta, Lisette. Um, mm-hmm. we were going to do this piece of feedback, I think on a, previous episode but we ran out of time uh, this was sent to us by thomas and he says uh this is a video a youtube video let's do some auto rotation practice and so now what i'm going to do is we're going to go over here and we're going to share this video here and it looks like I, I don't know all the details and the context of this but it appears to be 
a helicopter uh, practicing an auto rotation. It doesn't look like it's a real one because at the very end, you'll see why I think that. Um, but and, and we don't have in this video, we don't have the air traffic control communication. So we're not sure if this is a controlled field or if if it's an it uncontrolled looks relatively field. uncontrolled to me. Yeah, it did. But un- you know, we don't know I, if there were some like call out saying, "Hey, I'm a helicopter doing an auto rate, auto rotation practice, and I'm right. not where you're probably used to seeing me because I'm like right above the airport coming down really, really fast." Uh, so again, we're not sure, you know, what communications occurred here because it's not in this video. But let's watch this and uh, especially watch toward the end of this, and you'll see it's pretty eye opening. I would say. What annoys me about the title of this video, because nothing much is happening right now, the guy's just um, let his engine uh, go back to idle and he's starting to auto rotate down, is that it's titled Crazy Helicopter Robinson Crash. And there is no crash. Yeah, I didn't see a no. crash. I, no. I wasn't sure if that was referring to this video or like the one that comes after it. No, it's in the title. I, uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Anyway. He's coming down closer towards the runway. All looks very normal, lining up nicely. And he's, oh, oh, surprise! <laughs> right from I, underneath it, an, an airplane, a Cessna, high wing Cessna, appears. Yeah. So now he was lined up with the right hand edge of the runway, and this guy must have been separated laterally from him by about twenty feet, if that. Ah, uh, not much. Yeah. So I'm going to play the very beginning of this, and you can, uh, and I've turned the sound down so we can talk over it. Um, you can see the Cessna, the Cessna pull into. Uh, they're kind of holding there. short of the runway right now, and it's kind of covered up by the instrument panel of this uh, helicopter, this Robinson helicopter. But I think the airplane is just starting to take the runway, and apparently uh-huh. doesn't realize that this helicopter is coming down very Swooping rapidly. Swooping down. Yeah, and now the helicopter can't see him at all. No, probably. I don't Maybe. Think. It says no. It's got a hole in the roof, haven't they? But uh, No, not necessarily. Oh, right. Uh, maybe, let's see. Let's they see almost did does, after this incident. <laughs> <laughs> if it didn't, it does. <laughs> that is right. right about now. There we go. Oh, no, no hole nope. in the roof. Nope. No. Yeah. And then he adds power so, to the helicopter at the very end. Uh, so there's no crash. Almost a crash. No crash. No. No, no crash. I feel like it was more like just like took their attention away from what they were doing. And then we're like, oh, hey, we don't want to continue down to the ground at this rate. Uh, yeah. Yeah, at some point, though, yeah. you'd think that, that this Cessna rolling for takeoff would, in his scan, his or her scan outside and in front of the airplane, that they would have seen this thing coming down. But apparently. You would think it, I mean, it just, it just depends, right? So, um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I hold boxes. boxes. The, the eyes are, are not the only orifices opening during this video. <laughs> yeah. No. It's pretty dramatic, but uh, if you think about it, you know, you've got that, so you've got the high wing on the Cessna, right? So you can mm-hmm. see the Cessna taxiing into position there. Um, if for some reason it, the wing is just in the right position to block the view of the helicopter, you know, as it's, mm-hmm. As he's moving into position, mm-hmm. um, it's actually possible that maybe he really never saw. never saw the helicopter. But wouldn't there be some kind of radio communication announcing well, what's happening? So if this is a if this is an uh, you know uh, a field without a control tower, so everyone's announcing mm-hmm. their CTAF. intentions, what they're doing on CTAF, 
yes, but again, sometimes the timing of those things happen just at the right time where um, whoever needs to hear it perhaps doesn't hear it. So it's it's entirely possible that all of the right radio calls were made at the right time. This still happened. Yeah. Deanna asks a question that I had. We hear that little that um, noise, uh, which to me sounds like a stall horn in a general aviation airplane. Is that something that you hear in a helicopter? I don't know anything about helicopters, so I'm wondering if somebody I in our chat room not knowledgeable knows. knowledgeable enough to. Um, uh, no, I do, they don't have an equivalent of because they haven't got a wing to stall. Uh, and they certainly don't have those little flappy sensors in their rotor blades. Uh, it's probably a warning of some type. There's a Cessna taking off below you. Maybe that is the power is all the way at, uh, yeah. you know, it could be like power yes. is all the way at idle and, you know, no, you're think, still this height Jeff up has over it. the ground. It's the Cessna takeoff warning. Yes. The Cessna taking off yes. below you warning on the same yeah, runway. Exactly. Yes. Warning. <laughs> I'd like to point out this is a GoPro. They have a really wide-angle lens, and this is like looking into your uh, rear vision wing mirror. Objects uh, appear may closer, appear further, or further. Yes, are closer than they appear. Maybe closer yeah. than they than appear. They yeah. Uh, this Cessna was horrendously close. I mean, it looks close enough in a wide-angle lens. In reality, it would have it been brushing right that helicopter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, whatever. No, this does look like a an uncontrolled field to me, though. I don't see any. Oh yeah. To, yeah, you're right. It does. Power. It's it's also tiny, and it's just on the side right of a highway, highway somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. A lot yeah. of GA aircraft there, though. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Looks pretty. And I'm mm-hmm. glad that it wasn't really a Robinson helicopter crash. Yeah. It was close. It was still crazy. Yeah. It was crazy. Very very crazy. Yeah. Speaking of crazy, several. No, go ahead, Steph. I was going to say several of our chat room folks think it's the low rotor RPM warning ah, system. That makes sense. Which makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, so power at yeah. idle at a, you know. Yep. Yeah, because when you've got the engine on idle and you're also rotating in like that, you're using the air to speed the, to rotate, turn the rotor. Uh, and then you get it up to a high enough speed that uh, when you pull on the collective at the end, you can cushion your landing. Um, as I understand it, not being a helicopter pilot. Mm-hmm. That sounds about right to me. Well, speaking of crazy, let's uh, move on with this next piece of feedback from our friend Pasadena Brian. Brian Coleman. Oh, you're out, uh, trying to say Pasadena Brian's crazy? That's exactly what I'm... Uh, yeah, he's also with well, us he in the live audience. he was crazy enough... He he was crazy enough to very kindly offer to pick up a set of bowling balls I'd left at Pasadena Mm. um, a few years ago because I used to bowl at the Pasadena Law Bowling Club and bring them all the way to England. Uh, uh, Considering they weigh half a ton, I thought that was going to be excess baggage and cost him a bomb, but I'd already sold them to one of the members. So that uh, I was a little confused because of the, uh, the subject line of his email was Nick's Balls. (laughs) <laughs> yes, it was. And I, I didn't even go any further. I, I went ahead and, I went ahead and deleted that. Just I didn't even stopped want to right there. It. Yeah. yeah, like I, yeah. I, I, yeah. This is not safe to open in the company of other yes, people. Yes, not safe for work. Exactly. Well, th- thanks very much for your kind offer, Pasadena Brian. But no, I flogged him for a hundred bucks. All right. Well, he writes, Captain Jeff and crew. Here are two questions for the show. Hopefully, you guys can answer them. 
as you have flown in and out of LAX a few times, Los Angeles International. Yes, more than a few times. Hope all is well and hope you're enjoying your time in the cabin. I am. In fact, that's where I am right now recording the show. So let's uh, hear what uh, Brian sent in for his audio feedback. Hi, Captain Jeff and other captains. This is Pasadena Brian, and I wanted to send two bits of feedback in the same recording just to save some time and hopefully make your show a little bit shorter. My question today involves two flights I've taken recently. One was a Southwest flight where I flew to Albuquerque. The other was a United flight where I flew to Tampa. There were two really unique things that happened to me at LAX that have never happened before. Both flights took off from runway 25 right. The United flight was really interesting because we did the normal departure, flew out towards Catalina, made the U-turn to head back towards Tampa. The thing that was really unusual with this one is we were so incredibly low. When we went over the Palos Verdes Peninsula, I swear, when I looked out the window, I could read newspaper from some guy who was sitting at the park. I just have no idea why we were so low and was wondering if you had any idea. The other question I had was on the Southwest flight where we took off as normal from 25 right. However, by the time we got to the beach, we had already crossed all the runways on the left-hand side, the south side of the airport. And I've never been on a departure where before we get to the water, we've crossed over the two four left and right runways. So I was just wondering what could have happened there. Was Southwest just trying to save some money and take a shortcut to Albuquerque? And who knows, maybe this is an opposing basis question. I could get a better answer out of those guys since, you know, controllers might know what the heck's going on. You're just pilots. Anyway, hope all's well with everyone. Stay safe. Remember, wash your hands, get vaccinated, all that good stuff. Take care and fly safely. This is Pasadena Brian. Yeah, but you forget, those guys are pilots too. <laughs> so They are. So they're even more suspect. Exactly. Even more so. Um, Double suspect. So I, um, I thought, wait a minute. I, I think he's mixing up the, uh, the two fours and the two fives there. I think he, they took off. Um, he took off on both of those flights on uh, two four left, and uh, the second one, uh, which was interesting, was that he said that they had crossed the the southern runways two five left and right, um, you know, before they even got to the coastline. And uh, yeah, that that is unusual. Uh, usually, you go out over the water for quite a ways before you start your turn and parallel the the coast there um, off the, you know, heading south toward Catalina and then back around. Um, uh, Palos Verdes and, uh, along the, along the shore of, uh, Long Beach and San Pedro and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. And I asked him, I followed up with this, uh, with him on the, uh, on the airplane types, obviously Southwest was the uh, 737 and the United was also a 737. So I have no idea what kept the United airplane so low because they're usually pretty good climbers even when they're doing a uh, basically a coast-to-coast flight you know uh, la to tampa uh, they may have had some kind of a low altitude restriction something happening above them that the air traffic controllers didn't want them to climb any higher than a certain altitude but in my experience um, that is not normal and obviously in brian's experience as a passenger uh, he thought it was not normal either. So I'm not sure exactly why you could actually read 
the uh, the newspapers <laughs> from the people you know sitting there on the benches on the coastline. Um, and then the Southwest thing, and unless it was a time of day where there just wasn't much traffic, which is kind of again uncommon for LAX, I have no idea. Yeah. So that was my thought with the Southwest thing is that for some reason they were just in this weird gap where there was no one else in the area and they could just, they were just immediate left turnout, you know, um, with the, the United one, um, and I agree with you, Jeff, you know, um, performance on the seven, three, like I've taken off out of, um, uh, been a passenger on a seven, three anyway, out of midway, um, in Chicago many, many, many times. And yeah, there's, there's definitely good performance and, and climb rate there, but interesting, um, you know, the times that I sit, um, at the airport overlook here in Charlotte and just watch airplanes for a while while waiting for traffic to kind of calm down at the end of the day before driving home, um, which I do sometimes, especially in the summer when it's nice out and, you know, I sit in the sunshine and just relax a minute. Um, the different and, and relatively long runway, so 10,000 plus feet, um, the difference in, um, just what you know is between like let's just take a, like an A321 or or something that's similar or even larger than a 73 the the Airbuses and the 737 um as they're crossing the um end of the field um taking off the it always seems like the A321s the A320s A319s are at a much higher altitude already than where the 73s are they seem noticeably low you know kind of crossing the the end of the runway at kind of a minimum height. And I don't know if that has to do with fuel planning, um, um, you know, weights. I, I have no idea, um, but it's, it's definitely noticeable. I don't know what you guys think about that. Maybe it's probably, that's probably a question for like dispatcher Mike to answer. I don't know. I, I just suspect that the, sometimes out of Atlanta, there there's traffic that is kind of transiting uh, the, uh, the class B at a, at a lower than normal altitude. And so normally we hmm. get cleared to 10,000 feet initially off of Atlanta. And sometimes as we're taking the runway, they say, you know, amend your altitude to um, 8,000 or 7,000 or, you know, a lower altitude than so you would So they'll keep normally. you a lot lower. Yeah, yeah. to keep that separation for the traffic that you sure. are, that might be crossing close or over the top of you or whatever. Um, so yeah. I'm thinking maybe. Yeah, and especially if you're a ways out from the end of the runway already and you're still pretty low, uh, yeah. that makes a lot more sense. May have been some kind of conflicting traffic that was, you know, lower than normal, and they just decided to keep them below that altitude instead of trying to hope that they were above it by the time they mm. got within the five miles. Yeah, that's or, the only thing I could think of because we used to scoot out over the water and climb up to two and a half, three thousand, four thousand, and then eventually, when we got high enough, they turn us back in. Uh, when we had enough height to make sure we cleared the basin, you know, the hills are, are to the um, east of L.A. I never stayed very low for very long there. No. I was just desperately trying to find uh, the little um, video. I uh, made uh, a little time lapse of a departure from L.A., but I can't find it. It was just sad because oh. I would have stuck it up. Yeah, you are stuck up. <laughs> Usually, given half a chance. I don't know what's time. happening with my machine. My, excuse me, my um, <laughs> my mouse cursor is like 
not reacting to all the motions that I'm trying to make. The inputs. Yeah. Okay. I think I finally got this worked out. Okay. Um, the uh, next, well, I can't shoot. Help me, What's going on? I don't have that Do much going on. Do you have a backup on. mouse? Well, I don't think it's the mouse, actually. I think it's the computer is uh, overwhelmed for some reason. I don't know why. It's an M1. It shouldn't have any problems. Google Chrome. You definitely have not opened like 4,000. No, only 3,000. Browser pages. <laughs> well, so it should be totally fine. Um, okay. I um, I do not have full control yet, but we're going to, I'm going to click. <laughs> I think the cursor is about where it's supposed to be to play this cursor next video. Uh, who, who is this video from? Somebody that can get to Evernote. Please tell me. Is it number seven? Is it Andrew? Oh. Update to Notams? Andrew. No. Sent us. Is there a video? Yeah, so there is some video, and that's what I'm oh. going to attempt. And that's what Nick okay. started to play, thinking that it was his video, but it wasn't. It was Andrew's video. And uh, Sorry this, about that. This is a tour of the Boeing 717 from a flight attendant's perspective. So it has nothing to do with the cockpit and flying the airplane. It has all to do it with the It doesn't sound like anything to do with NOTAMs either. No, nothing. Oh, so this is not from Andrew then? Oh, yeah, no, no, no. Steffi's. Oh, I'm sorry. It is from Andrew. They're both from it Andrew. From Andrew. I clicked ahead Andrews. one too far. Okay. Now that I was we right, got that all even straight. Though I, <laughs> even though I was wrong, I was actually right. <sighs> okay. I'm Story really confused. Life. I am too. It's from Andrew still. I'm just going to hit. I'm just going to push this. I'm going to click the mouse and see what happens. Hey guys, this is not a plane that I work on very often, but here's a tour of the Boeing 717. My coworker Thomas here is setting up the handy wipes to give out. We enter into the front galley with the two jump seats. Got some coffee makers, some bins, some carts, got all my supplies, or some of my supplies anyway. Then on the other side, I've got my other coworker over here. Hey! <laughs> we got more coffee makers, hey. more bins, more carts. You see, he's pulling out the water, so set up first. You guys must drink a lot of coffee. the aisle here, we've got our first lavatory, which is bathroom. Got a little toilet, a little Woo-hoo. sink, you know, a little napkins, tissues, all that good jazz. All right, into my first class cabin. This is a four by three configuration. Three rows Look at how of big that airplane seats, is. Nice and spacious seats. It's nice very cozy. No entertainment center on this one. This is an older aircraft, guys. As we step into the Comfort Plus area, you'll notice we have a two-by-three seat configuration. The bins on the two-seat side don't have much overhead bin space. The bins on the three-seat side have deeper bins, uh, so you can actually fit those larger roller boards, wheels, or handles first. On this side, they have to go in sideways. This is the only plane, the only plane where it's okay to turn the bag sideways, all right? We've got a couple of exit rows coming up here where you can step out onto the wing in the event of an, uh, an emergency. This 21E is my favorite seat or 21A. There's no seat in front of it. Other than that, here's the rest of the aircraft, guys. It's not a very big plane. She's she's the Barbie dream jet of the, of the fleet. Got my bags up here with my snacks. And this back here, you got a couple more bathrooms. And this is my jump seat. I'm sitting in the tail cone. As always, you push the door, bifold door opens up, got a toilet, sink, there you go, you do your do. Other side, exact same thing. Push, toilet, sink, do the do. All right, and once again, here's my jump seat area. Um, in order to, for me to sit down, you pull this up. Oh, hard to pull up. <laughs> anyway, you pull this up, you sit down, my uh, lap belt is hidden behind there, and then you see my so- shoulder straps. 
All right. And if you need to evacuate, you can evacuate out of that area. There are there is a slide back there. But yeah, oh, here comes Thomas prancing up the aisle. And here's me prancing. almost touching the ceiling. I barely fit on this plane. Take care. Bye. Okay. So you can evacuate out of that door or in either of the toilets. Yes, but preferably the door. That's the better way to evacuate. Oh, I see. Evacuate. Ah, very clever. Uh, and just to kind of correct what he said, the fact that there is no entertainment backseat entertainment system has nothing to do with the age of the airplane. There are many airplanes that are out flying that are much older than this airplane, and uh, they have um, entertainment systems. It has more to do with the fact that it's short um, kind of segment kind of flying. That's what it was designed for. So they, uh, our company or that company decided not to install the entertainment systems on the airplane. Well, fair enough. So I see Steph's making a PA. Yeah. Steph's calling, yes. uh, calling somebody to report us. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think. The yes. jig is up. <laughs> All right. Yeah, afraid so. Well, my computer is still not behaving. No, this I, is from this is from another Andrew. Is this, this is your M one? Yeah, it's my M one, and I just don't know what is is upsetting it so much. It's just like <laughs> it will not work. Oh wait, okay. Maybe it's your mouse. No, it's not my mouse. <laughs> oh, no, I just replaced it works. the. Uh, I just replaced the um, battery in it. Battery. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, okay. Um, let's see if I can find Evernote, which is our. Oh, this no. Of course, now the keyboard is not working. Yeah, great. Oh shit. Maybe uh, maybe Nick. I can think read he's it. got an M one Pro Number Brian. seven. Number seven. No, it's, it's just the regular. Are we M1. still having? Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, I had, yeah, my it's uh, it's like Bluetooth is like not uh, the it's a Bluetooth mouse Do and a Bluetooth. Need new batteries in the mouse? No, I just put I just replaced the battery in the mouse. So that's not the problem. The Have you thrown the mouse it. through the window yet? That helps. <laughs> I'm thinking about it. Have you turned everything <laughs> off and then turn it all back on? Well, then and that then would turn kind around of, in your seat about three times. That might help, but call we're kind of in the middle of a show, uh, and I, I really don't want to turn everything off if I can help it. Let's see if I can get any response from maybe okay. Nick or Steph could read. Jeff, maybe um, check the cable the on the wireless mouse. Yeah, I think. Oh, that <laughs> that could be the problem. I don't. I don't see the cable. Yeah. Okay. I think I'm now controlling. Okay. Here we go. Andrew. I think this is. Is this not? Is this a different Andrew? I, or so the the name the last names are very suspiciously similar yet yeah. different. One is Mart and the other is Marts, and I'm thinking mm. that it's the same guy. Yeah. Which hence my confusion prior to. I'm um, playing that video because I clicked through the, I think so too. Okay. Well, this is the next one from Andrew and this does have something to do with no Tams. And he said, good news. The no Tams system has been fixed. What? Woo-hoo. That's Yay. great. Yay. Turns out all the FAA had to do was make it more gender inclusive. No Tams are no longer notices to airmen, but rather notices to air missions. Much better. All issues have been resolved with the NOTAM system. Okay, wait. I think you're being a little <laughs> facetious. It has nothing to do with how Let's talk about up. what the real problems are with NOTAMs. Yeah. Now, I, I know there are a few air missionaries around, but why why do they get their own NOTAMs? I don't understand. I, all the NOTAMs are just for them now, so you can ignore all the NOTAMs yeah. oh, okay, if you're right. not an air missionary. I did yeah, follow enough. up with this and thinking, okay, is that what, what did that it's come true. from? Yeah. Is this true? 
and he sent mm-hmm. me the actual reference. Uh, it's one of the air traffic. He's an air, uh, air traffic controller, and it's one of their one of their uh, uh, what do you call it? Documents or manuals mm-hmm. or regulations or whatever. Um, so I'll I'll put a Based link to that. Brief, briefly make some news on some of the. Um, aviation groups that I'm a member of on social medias and then everyone quickly seemed to forget it and move on with their lives. Yeah. Okay. Well, whatever. I mean, I have no problem. If you, what you can just, we don't even have to make it mean anything. It's just be no Tam and everybody understands what it is. They're still garbage. You're right. List. That's how how words work. Like at some point or at some point in the past, they were because of something and Mm -hmm. then they become a meaning unto themselves. Right. Right. No time. Does it have yeah. to stand for something? No. It's just no. a thing that you have to read yeah. hundreds of pages of before you take a trip, you know, 30 miles away mm-hmm. to make sure that there's not birds in the vicinity of the airport, which there oh, always wait. are. Yeah. There are always birds oh, in cranes. the vicinity. Cranes. cranes. There's a crane 200 meters yeah. Yeah. Um, some distance from the field. Unlighted. And some taxiway lighting is, is out. out on a bit of the airfield you'll never, ever never go to. <laughs> or a non-standard... Uh, <laughs> Uh, symbology on the on the on the taxiway yes, side. It's been yes. non-standard for five years. Yeah. Yeah. Non-standard lighting, it. and we'd never have noticed. <laughs> yes. Oh, I like notices to all all air master air masters of the air. Notice <laughs> no, of, not- notice of pilot errata. Nope. <laughs> notices to, yeah, that would be good. All masters. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, let's move on, shall we? This is from Glacos. Uh, hi team. Hope you're all well. Apologies for the quick message. Things have been quite hectic here. Despite my disappearance, (laughs) try our lives. Yeah. (laughs) I haven't forgotten about you all, especially captain Jeff. Thank you. Uh, just saw this on the local news and thought it would be nice one. It would be a nice one to share. If any of you are looking for a flying bargain, it might be an option. Chances are you need to fix a few bits and pieces before getting these planes back in the air. But if you're a keen mechanic or know of a good one, this can be an opportunity of a lifetime. And so he sent us a couple of pictures here of some of the items that are being auctioned off. He says, safe, stay safe, clear skies, light winds. God bless. Cheers, Glaucus, the G-Man. Ooh, a DHC-7. Yeah. Um, That's not, a, a quad otter, is it? Yes. And I think basically. this one right here, <laughs> the second one, is... Uh, one of the most Ooh. expensive ones, and it's a um, an RJ, uh, and it that looks quite good, Nick. Apart from the appalling paint scheme, where I'm trying to find you the don't price like the on orange? this one. <laughs> it's a very orange CRJ 100. Well, it's it would look good in Holland. Whatever the Kenyan orange. dollar is, 127,000. Okay. Okay, so what we're talking uh, about shillings. here, in case because uh, Liz is telling me that um, I need to explain what we're talking about here. There's an auction uh, of these airplanes that uh, apparently are in Kent. Is it Kenya? Uh, yeah, Kenya uh, Airport Kenya. Authority. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're auctioning off seventy junk and abandoned planes, and I guess uh, that they have been abandoned. And nobody wants them or has the money to do whatever is necessary to make these things airworthy again. And so they have 73 planes set to be sold. Well, actually, uh, the auction is over. So if you if you see something here that kind of catches your eye, well, chances are too it's late. too late. Too late. Too late. Yep. Yeah. It's too late, baby, now it's too late. Uh, 
But uh, let's see, there's a 707 300. 707. Wow. Uh, wow. 300 starts at $2,497. Wow. That's pretty wow. cheap. Uh, good. Yes. I guess the real cost is in transporting it to wherever you would like it to be located. Yeah, yeah. It probably just costs several. Because I don't think it fly. flies. <laughs> yeah, pretty sure you can't yes. get it in the air. Probably doesn't have any engines. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so that was that was pretty interesting stuff. And if you don't shift it very quickly, they're going to charge you one hundred twenty dollars a day <laughs> to park it there. Mm. You have to collect yours. your plane within two weeks if you are the winning mm. bidder. No. That's oh no, I'm sorry. If you haven't collected it within two weeks, it'll be forfeited after you paid them $120 for the two a day for the two weeks. Wow. $120. That's a lot of money. I can get airport parking for like 10 bucks a day. <laughs> yes. Yeah, for but not for 707. No, for my car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway. I'm paying a lot more than that to park my car. Are well, you? Most of these airplanes are cheaper at, than a at car. Pearson to come down to Atlanta, yeah, thirty bucks a day. Yeah, that's true. Wow, Liz is telling me that she's paying thirty bucks a day to park her car at Toronto Pearson International Airport for her trip oh down my to uh, that's Atlanta. That's crazy. Wow. Leave it at home and get a Uber. Is that and that's for like the economy? Like, yeah, is that the economy lot? No, no, no that's the valet parking. The I think. Post- because I pay, I pay twenty two or twenty four dollars a day at Charlotte, but that's for the hourly lot because I can't be bothered to take the bus from the daily <laughs> lot or the economy uh, lot for far less. Of money. course not. That's our stuff. <laughs> that's our stuff. Yep. I mean, I don't leave myself enough time. Well, no, I know. It's I miss just like every it, flight. It wouldn't if work I had to with take the bus. It wouldn't work with your system, which is like no. I leave the house like fifteen minutes before the departure time, or something like. Yes. That. It works. It always works. Yeah, usually works. Works, works, works. works, works, okay. works. Hey, uh, you remember that feedback that we had from uh, Ketty, uh, who mm. was uh, questioning your uh, credentials as a doctor and then mm. started going off on uh, uh, Rather cheekily questioning. Yeah. Yes. yes. Well, she, she kind of thought, yeah, okay. Um, you know, she heard our criticism of her feedback. And, uh, so she sent us in some, some more feedback too, actually, I'm going to, I'm going to play the second one because they're, they're very similar, uh, feedbacks. And I think the second one actually does a better job of, of, uh, kind of answering what we said regarding her original feedback. So here we go. Hey APG, this is Charlie Hotel. I did want to say I'm sorry if my initial feedback came back a little bit harsh about Dr. Steph. Um, You're right, it is a pet peeve of mine. Um, I don't know how in the world our doctors manage to screw up e-scribing. I mean, they use the best system, you know, just best system ever. The one that you mentioned in the past, one of your old episodes, we use Epic. Epic is the greatest. I don't know how in the world they managed to mess it up. We use O2 in Epic, so... I, I, I have no idea. Anyways, um, it is definitely a pet peeve, as well as people going below the speed limit in the fast lane, and uh, people not using blingers. Um, kind of hurts my soul here. <laughs> Mine too. But anyways, I just want to apologize if it came across a little harsh. I didn't uh, intend it that way. That was just, you know, me getting off work, tired, not thinking about anything. Um, and yes, uh, like I mentioned, I am a pilot. I'm a pilot. My dad's a pilot. My grandpa used to be a pilot. My older brother's a pilot. My little sister flies. Um, she's a student. Um, pretty sure more will come. And then I've also 
taken on helicopters, so that's kind of fun. So wish me luck with that. And um, I wish you all the best, especially you, Dr. Steph. And um, good luck on your 500th. I'm really excited for it. I'd come if I could, but, you know, work. Anyways, you all have a good one. So I think, ah. just based on her accent, I don't know if she originally told us where she's from or not, but sounds to me like somewhere in the South, based on her accent. Yeah, perhaps. Perhaps. I heard that a little bit. Yeah. Um, Mm-hmm. And obviously, uh, she was she was uh, demonstrating to us uh, how to use a turn signal because I, I heard that very clearly through through now, most Charlie of Hotel, that. Now, Charlie Hotel, were you were you in the left lane with your turn signal on <laughs> the entire time? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Probably sorry. Not. We could be we could be a little harsh too sometimes. Yeah. but it's all good natured. Yeah, we love you, man. Um, we love you, girl. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah, love yeah. you, man, but you're not um, a man. Super Clearly. cool. I don't think I picked up on the first time that um, that maybe I should know that from that other podcast, Opposing Bases, you that you're a pilot also. So I probably should. Um, but that's super cool. And good luck with the helicopters. You definitely, you know, all the luck you can possibly Mustard. get. Yeah. Religious, <laughs> religious blessings yeah. as well. <laughs> we'll say some You realize you start doing that, we'll yeah. measure your lifespan in weeks rather than years. <laughs> And you should probably look at that video that we showed of the Robinson uh, doing the auto rotation practice and mm-hmm. watch out for rogue Cessnas. Yeah, they're yeah. out there. Anyway, good uh, to hear from you. No, yes. Yeah, there's a, there's Thank a you. reason why um, AJ uh, now flies fixed wing. Mm. AJ no. or AG AH AG AG even AJ AG. Oh, wait, all right. Wait, I screwed up too. AG. <laughs> AG, yeah, there you go. This is so confusing to me. Can you guys just please use your real names? I know your real yeah, names. Yeah, we could yeah. use your real names, you but then he would be, they'd uh-huh. be upset with us. Then they'd be upset with us. Yeah. Um, we could yeah, invent AG. names. AG. Yeah. Another god. No, I was like. I was going to say, um, yes, I agree with you on your epic um, assessment. And just um, as long as we're saying prayers for people, say a prayer for me because I have to use next gen. And that's a very specific thing. And we'll move on from there. She'll know what I'm talking about. Oh, okay. Because I had no idea. Next gen. I know there's something to do with our national. It has nothing to do with nothing to do with our national airspace system. Okay. But mm -hmm. gotcha. Six minutes left. Six minutes. Okay. Uh, Liz is telling me six minutes before uh, plane tail time. So I think we have time to do at least one more. And this one is from Mike. He says, Jeff. Coincidence to hear on a recent episode, you guys were talking about landing G forces. I had a 220 the other day that landed overweight. No big deal on your classic Jurassic jet. Come on. I the airplane I'm flying right now is not that old. Anyway, but Airbus Canada seems to like their reports. Thus, we got a high load landing report. This event wasn't a big deal since they had less than a degree of roll and less than a degree of yaw and 0.265 degrees per second of pitch rate. So not a lot of pitch rate either. The actual touchdown was at 0.625 feet per second and resulted in 1.508 G. Everything other than the landing weight was in the green. And I I did do the calculation and then I didn't write it down. 0.0625 times 60. And I don't think it was like anything extraordinary uh, maybe somebody just can... like a normal normal landing it was just overweight when it touched down is basically what he's saying yeah 
and, and 1.5. Yeah. And I you know that's only a half a G more than regular gravity. So it's not a super hard, uh, even though that w- it came right. out as a hard landing. I, no, just an overweight No, it was, a, it was an overweight landing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, important to know that the new jets well, will tattle on you. Uh, yeah, that's true. Have a great day, Mike Kuhn. Yes. Well, we were we were um, did an overweight landing. We had to keep it under three hundred feet a minute rate mm-hmm. of descent on touchdown, which yep. you know it means a nice gentle touchdown, so you don't risk damaging the airframe. Mm-hmm. So I mean, so it's not a sin landing overweight. I have to say, it's no. just if you bang it in overweight, that's the only problem. Yeah, just got to know you're overweight and kind of be just extra. I, I'm overweight. Caution. Are you Me overweight, too. Jeff? <laughs> I am. Yeah, for sure. What's yeah. what's that? Yeah, shut Steph's up. Steph's the only one here that's not overweight. <laughs> You're underweight. <laughs> nope. Yeah. Solidly in the normal category. Uh, Good okay. for you. Mm-hmm. All right. Moving um, on. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, All of us are saying, shut up, Steph. Is, where is on. the normal bit? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Just with my weight, that's it. Nothing else. Yeah, nothing else <laughs> okay. normal about yeah. stuff. <laughs> no, no. And I would argue, well, okay. Albert, uh, number 11, uh, lightning strike. Uh, hi, crew. I thought to share this pick of a lightning strike to one of our aircraft, Victor Hotel, Yankee Quebec Oscar, uh, B7300-800. No, B737-800. It's uh, the starboard winglet. Uh, let's see. The right one. Mm-hmm. I always look forward to your weekly take right. on events, etc. Right oh, it's a right, yeah, isn't it? No, you're right. Right. Starboard Come on, Liz. Because, it has, right. because starboard has an R in it, so it's the right uh, Liz, side. Liz is messing Don't ask me, me about no, no. the port word. She's trying to mess no, me it's up. It's the right side. Tripping me up. Okay. Yes. I always look forward to your weekly take on events, etc. Keep up the fantastic, that's all caps, work. Cheers, Albert. And then uh, you would have uh, thought hitting an F thirty five would have made a bigger mess of the winglet. <laughs> so, are you seeing that uh, picture that uh, is in an overlay? Yes. That, okay. That tiny little mark. Good. I'm just trying to move my mouse like inches at a time here to try to manage this whole thing. Uh, so I can't switch to another window to see what you guys are looking at. Yep, the overlay is up. Okay, great. Um, do we have time for Spencer, or is it time to shift over to no, the plain no, tail? No, plain tail time. Plain tail time. Okay. Yeah, I wish that during the plain tail I could just restart everything, but then you wouldn't be hearing the plain tail, so I can't do that. <laughs> so well, I can't even play it from my end, can I? Uh, you, you could. I think. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe not. Probably not. You, you, I don't think let's, your mix minus is set that. up to do that um, from okay. what I know. So I am going to go ahead and click on this button. Get another beer, that's all. Yeah. I, I need several more beers, I think. Although I think I'm out. This one I'm drinking right now is it. Um, what okay. a tragedy. It is. So, hey. It is now time for this week's installment of the Old Pilot's Plane Tales. And this one is entitled, hmm, very coincidentally, The 500th. The Old Pilot's Plane Tales. The 500th. In Britain, as in many countries, the Coast Guard is a civilian organization primarily responsible for search and rescue. 
In other countries, it's more of a police force, but in the United States, the Coast Guard is a fully paid-up branch of the military. Its men and women have served with valour in many conflicts, and I'm going to tell you about one such event, the rescue of Misty Eleven. Being a Misty pilot was a dangerous job, and the Misty FAC, a forward air controller program, would only take volunteers. Between the summers of 1967 and 1970, 155 pilots would be accepted, and of them, 34 would be shot down. They had to fly in a very dense threat environment, whilst operating for long periods at low altitudes searching for targets. They were men of quality, as one would receive the Medal of Honor, one would be the first to fly non-stop, unrefueled around the world, two would become the United States Air Force's Chief of Staff, and two would become astronauts. Two of them were also going to be on the receiving end of a momentous rescue during the Vietnam War by the United States Air Force Aerospace Rescue and Recovery Service, and by crews, some of whom weren't even members of the Air Force. They were U.S. Coast Guards. Misty 11 was an F-100 Super Sabre and a fast FAC, designating targets in the early morning sun along the Ho Chi Minh Trail for ground attack aircraft to destroy. The Misty call sign came from a Johnny Mathis song of that name with the line, Don't you notice how hopelessly I'm lost? That's why I'm following you. On this morning, October the 24th, 1969, the two-seat Sabre that was the Fast Facts aircraft of choice was crewed by Captain Jack Clapper in the front and First Lieutenant Don Muller behind him. They were scooting along in the target area, doing their usual misty weave, a 4-6G slalom run at over 450 knots, designed to make them a hard target, when somebody below got lucky. Ground fire took out their Pratt & Whitney J57 engine. The F100 was no glider, and they soon found themselves dropping below a 1,000 feet, so having put out a mayday call, they ejected, parachuting down into the dense jungle-covered mountainous Laotian terrain. They landed about half a mile around a kilometre apart in a small valley which ran north-south. They both did their best to hide their positions and then made contact using their survival radios, talking to another FAC pilot in an OV-10 Bronco nearby. Clapper was fine, but Muller had a badly broken leg, and what's more, he could hear people moving around him. The Bronco pilot told them to hang on, and that he would be contacting search and rescue. During the Vietnam conflict, the goal of the combat rescue and recovery units was to get to those in peril before the enemy did. Whether the mission was an extraction or the pickup of a downed airman, each time they were successful it was a win, a save. But a save was much more than a statistic to these men. A save was a person, and they took it personally. There were 11 Coast Guard aviators that flew with these rescue forces in Vietnam between 1968 and 1972, 
They were all volunteers. They were all highly praised. And what's more, the 37th Aerospace Rescue and Recovery Squadron was coming up to their 500th save. It only took a couple of hours before a rescue team of two HH-3E... Jolly Green Giants, escorted by a couple of A-1 Sky Raiders, arrived over the crash area and took up an orbit out of harm's way. One would remain as a backup high bird orbiting overhead, whilst the other low bird would go in and make the rescue. The spads repeatedly ran up and down the area, looking for a response from the enemy, but all seemed quiet, so Captain Charles Langham, the United States Air Force, descended his helicopter in for the recovery. Above them all was a Hercules C-130, coordinating the rescue, and knowing that Don Muller was badly injured, they chose to pick him up first. As the big helicopter approached, there was still no sign of enemy activity, so they came to a hover over his position, and para-jumper Tech Sergeant Don Smith went down on the wire. There was no time to mess about, and despite his injuries, Smith had Muller on the jungle penetrator, a tough metal folding seat that could pass through the jungle canopy without getting caught up, and signalled to winch them both up. Less than a minute had elapsed. Suddenly, on three sides of them, the twinkling of automatic fire lit up the jungle, and bullets began whining past their heads. They had flown into a flak trap. The entire area had turned into a mass of heavy small arms and automatic weapons fire, as close as 50 feet, that's 15 metres away. Langham, flying the helicopter, began to receive hits, and although the spads rushed in to suppress the ground fire, it was so close to the rescuers that they couldn't use big weapons for fear of killing the downed pilots. Then the Jolly Green's hoist that held the dangling wire in its precious cargo was hit, breaking it off its mounts and smashing it into the flight engineer's chest whilst dumping Muller and Smith back on the ground. The hoist was now completely useless, so the cable was guillotined, shearing it off, and they tried to get out of there. The big helicopter dipped its nose and started to accelerate forwards, but they were streaming smoke and oil from the main gearbox. They were going down. Above him, in the high bird, Lieutenant Richard Butchka of the United States Coast Guard punched off his auxiliary fuel tanks and plunged into a descent to follow the injured bird. He told Langham to put it down, and before long he had found a clear spot in a small bowl-shaped valley, and Langham landed the helicopter safely into a mass of elephant grass. The crew abandoned it and ran, looking up for help from the high bird, but it was already there, on the left side, in a hover, with its hoist cable dangling down, ready for them. The hovering helicopter was an easy target, so Butchka was fully expecting enemy fire, and he didn't have to wait long. His machine shuddered with a jolt on the right side as a big gash appeared in the aircraft's skin. 
as they hauled the crew of the downed helicopter up, the counts of rescues rose until when the co-pilot, Major Charles Bond, came on board, they had reached the magic number of 500 saves. Little did they expect that it would be one of their own pilots. With the men safely on board, the next problem was getting out of there. Butchka didn't want to go back the way he came in because of the heavy enemy fire. Complicating the matter, it was hot and humid, the pressure altitude was high, and the only other way out presented him with a vertical cliff rising about 130 feet above him. It was decision time. Butchka headed for the cliff face, pulled every bit of power he could, heaving the collective up into his armpit, with the airspeed dropping and the rotor slowing, he smashed through the tops of the trees as they struggled over. But they weren't out of trouble yet. As they came over the ridge line, the jolly immediately came under more heavy ground fire. The Spads hadn't reported anything because they didn't know where Butchka had got to, but miraculously they weren't hit. However, the Jolly had caught its blades in the trees and needed an escort out of there. Damaged, they diverted to a landing site for repairs. Back at the rescue point, the downed Misty crew and Langham's PJ had reported contact with the enemy only 35 metres, about 100 feet west of them, and he called in airstrikes. The Spads came down, bracketing their position to keep the Viet Cong at bay. That day, three more recovery attempts were made, but each time intense ground fire resulting in severe damage forced the helicopters to withdraw, one with its hydraulics shot away and a badly damaged tail rotor. Later that afternoon, the Jolly Green Giants had another go, this time with Coast Guard Lieutenant Rob Ritchie at the controls, a USAF pilot at his side, his engineer and two PJs in the back. After multiple passes by the A1s dropping chemical cluster bomb units, with each dispenser delivering 528 CS gas canisters, they came in. All the previous attempts that day had been made into wind, so Ritchie chose an unexpected downwind approach. He reckoned that the bad guys would be set up for them to come into the wind and would be waiting. The spads made more suppression runs and laid smoke, and then they joined in a daisy chain of passes that provided protective fire. Ritchie used the smoke for cover, descended fast and quickly put his aircraft into a hover over Smith, the PJ, and Muller. As Tech Sergeant Gados wound down the rescue hoist, he was completely exposed to incoming hostile fire impacting all about him in the doorway. Unconcerned, he kept up his usual reassuring and calm hover instructions to the pilots until both men had been brought up and swung aboard. With surprisingly little damage to the aircraft, Ritchie repositioned to make a second approach and rescue Clapper, but this time they began taking very heavy ground fire on the way in. They'd lost the element of surprise and the North Vietnamese had repositioned. The SPAD leader called the approach off so that both A1s could make further suppression runs. 
Now on his third attempt, Ritchie immediately started his run-in. The spads had done their work, and this time it was much quieter. But as the penetrator descended through the jungle canopy, the fire became more and more intense, with the jolly taking multiple hits. A utility hydraulic line that powered the hoist was severed, and it stopped moving. The frustration was palpable. They had been so close, but they had to pull away and leave Clapper in the jungle, surrounded by the enemy. Later that afternoon, two further attempts were made, but each was beaten off by the Viet Cong, and then a huge tropical thunderstorm moved in, pounding the area with heavy rain for 30 minutes. As the squalls started to move away and the storm subsided, they had their chance. The winds that had just been whipping up the valley calmed, and the smoke screen that they laid began to envelop the area, This was a double-edged sword, as it hid the helicopter's approach, but also made it difficult and dangerous to find Clapper. Fortunately, Jack Clapper hadn't been asleep during his combat survival lectures, and he was well aware of how to guide the helicopter pilot in. Coordinating with the spads overhead and the high bird, they positioned themselves right over the downed man and dropped the penetrator down into the jungle. Clapper clambered onto the device and the winch operator lifted him up and away from danger. Soon he reached the open door and safety as the door gunner pulled him in. With a grin of relief, after ten hours of tension amongst the enemy forces, Clapper gratefully fell into a seat. For this 500th combat rescue, many well-deserved medals were awarded. These are just a few. Lieutenant Robert D. Ritchie, United States Coast Guard, was awarded the Silver Star for gallantry in connection with military operations against an opposing armed force whilst attached to the 37th Aerospace Rescue and Recovery Squadron. Lieutenant Ritchie distinguished himself as an aircraft commander of an HH-3E rescue helicopter on the 24th of October 1969. On that date, he repeatedly penetrated an area of intense hostile fire in an effort to rescue three downed airmen before battle damage rendered his aircraft incapable of further rescue operations. By his gallantry and devotion to duty, Lieutenant Junior Grade Ritchie has reflected great credit upon himself and the United States Air Force. Captain Charles D. Langham was awarded the Silver Star when he distinguished himself by gallantry as the aircraft commander of an HH-3E helicopter. While attempting to recover two downed Air Force pilots, Captain Langham's aircraft was subjected to intense hostile fire. Displaying superb airmanship, he nursed his critically damaged aircraft away from the hostile area and effected an emergency landing in a confined remote area, which saved his crew from probable serious injury or possible death. By his gallantry and devotion to duty, Captain Langham has reflected great credit upon himself and the United States Air Force. The Air Force Cross was presented to Technical Sergeant Donald G. Smith for extraordinary heroism against an opposing armed force as a pararescueman on an HH-3E rescue helicopter. 
Sergeant Smith voluntarily descended to the surface on a forest penetrator to assist a downed pilot. As he and the pilot were being raised, hostile fire rendered the hoist inoperative, and the cable was sheared, dropping them fifteen feet to the ground. Sergeant Smith's position was surrounded by hostile forces, and his helicopter was downed by hostile fire. Remaining exceptionally calm, his resolute and decisive presence encouraged other survivors, whilst his resourcefulness in controlling and directing the aircraft providing suppressive fire resulted in the safe recovery of all downed personnel. Through his extraordinary heroism, superb airmanship and aggressiveness in the face of the enemy, Sergeant Smith reflected the highest credit upon himself and the United States Air Force. Of the roughly 200 Air Force Cross recipients, only 24 are enlisted rank, of which 12 are para-rescue men. Nine PJs were awarded Air Force Crosses for combat search and rescue missions in Vietnam. Of those nine missions, two had Coast Guard aviators as aircraft commanders. Four of those gentlemen were awarded Silver Stars, the only four Silver Stars to have ever been awarded to Coast Guard aviators. General Howard Estes made the following statement about them. I'm personally aware of the distinguished record achieved by the Coast Guard pilots flying in combat with our Jolly Greens. They have flown many difficult and challenging missions and have consistently demonstrated their unreserved adherence to both our mottos. Always ready and that others may live. Coast Guard, awesome. Those PJs are really special people. There's something else, aren't they? Mm. I mean, uh, it's it's quite unusual for us to consider a Coast Guard. uh, They obviously do amazing rescue work, but actually going into uh, to fight a war—that's something unusual for us to think about. And uh, you may you may not feel this way, but. I hear a lot about the three services in uh, the United States. I don't hear a lot about the Coast Guards. And I, when I found this story, I thought, this is lovely. Perhaps it gives me a chance to blow their trumpet a little bit because uh, there seem to be, I'm sure you agree, a fine fighting force. They are. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Good. It's nice Good. to know more about them because I agree with you, even living here, you don't hear about them very much other than the – you know, the search and rescue stuff. Exactly. Uh, and in, in peacetime, of course, uh, they, they're they still out doing their primary duty. Oh, sure. They're out mm-hmm. there in incredible distances in hostile seas, picking up, um, albeit civilian, uh, usually civilian uh, maritime um, people. They're doing rescues out there in appalling weather, doing remarkable uh, things with their aircraft. Um, I just think it's 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 brilliant. So you know, more power to their elbow, guys. Well done. Truly unsung heroes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. 
Excellent. Well, it was a good choice. Then. Yeah. I was, was going to do that for the 500th show, but I thought of something else for that. All right. Something a bit more lighthearted, perhaps. Excellent. Look forward to that. Yeah. We need a motto. Lighthearted sounds good. Semper Lazarus. Well, that's in contrast to Semper... Uh, my Latin's terrible. Paratus. Paratus? Paratus. Paratus. Always ready. So I'm guessing this is kind of the opposite. Oh, Semper Lazarus would be something... The dead. Dead. Lazarus was raised from the dead. Yeah. I think Lazarus was also one of the ones that ended up going to hell. And then he kind of said, hey, uh, do over. Can I do this over? Can I warn people that they should live good lives? Because this is really hell. Well, we're all well, going to hell. We're, 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 I'm living in hell right now. So that's a, Well, if you're that's watching the show or right listening now. to the show right now, you're in your own little hell. I think. Yeah, sorry. Exactly right. Yeah, we don't we're not sorry. Brilliant. What the hell? Uh, what the hell? Uh, let's. Uh, you got lots of time left. Lots, lots of time. time Liz is telling left. me. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so uh, let's gonna have a shorter show. Okay, that's good. A shorter show is good. That gives us more time to prepare for the big five hundred. All right, let's uh, continue mm-hmm. on with number twelve uh, from Spencer. He says, "Hey, APG crew, it's Spencer from Utah. A quick update on my training. This past week, I passed my instrument check ride. Yay! Woo-hoo! Nice going. Well done. Well done. Yeah." During the last, flight. yeah, during the last few weeks of my training, I had an unforgettable incident involving a really big bird. No, I don't think he's talking about the ses- Was Sesame yellow? Street. No, I don't. <laughs> yeah, um, a long dick. My instructor, a long what? Neck? A long neck. Okay, I'm sorry, I misunderstood. <laughs> okay, um, yes, I, that was I difficult what, to understand. I know what you thought? My instructor and I were yeah. on a cross country yeah, flight was. and almost. Back to our home airport. It's an uncontrolled field underneath a Bravo shelf. I was wearing a view-limiting device. I heard my instructor say, birds! And I looked up, and I saw a huge flock of cranes, and I saw one of them dive straight down and hit the top of our wing. You should have read your no terms. I know. You would have known. Well, this involves birds that are cranes. That's like an like extra no time right there. That's a double no time. <laughs> but was it a 200-foot yeah. crane? I doubt it. Uh, it might have been. Yeah, there was clearly visible damage. A pretty, a pretty decent dent in the wing of our DA forty. Luckily, we were able to make a safe landing. It sure felt like a sully oh, moment a there DA for a second. 40. Uh, it's, it's a, a diamond. diamond it's the slightly DA forty. Single. Yeah. It's made. Oh, okay. uh, I think it's designed. Single I don't know if it's made in Austria. I'm pretty sure. That's uh, probably not made in Austria, but I think it's an Austrian airplane, right? Please, somebody help me. I've, I've flown them, and okay. I should know. Anyway, they look like gliders, <laughs> basically. I mean, they have super long, thin, right. high. Yes, um, they're, they're actually very fun to fly. They've got a, a center stick. Um, yeah, and they're, they've got a lot of um, visibility, kind of a little bubble canopy type uh, cockpit configuration. The DA-40 is the um, larger of the single engine um, aircraft that they make. They have a DA-20. And the DA-42, I think, is the twin, right? Is the twin? Yeah, that's like twin star, twin twin star, twin. I don't know what this something means. like that. Yeah. Anyway, he says. Luckily, we were able to make a safe landing. It sure felt like a sully well, moment the for that. there for a second. Uh, I do feel bad for the bird, though. It definitely did not survive after this incident. It was making me think about what can we do as pilots to minimize the risk of bird strikes. I know. Don't fly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. 
Do your airlines have any procedures related to bird strikes? And have any of you had any experience with bird strikes that have caused damage to an aircraft? Uh, Spencer, I have had bird strikes, but I've never had any really any you know significant damage from any of the bird strikes that I've encountered myself. How about you, Nick? Yeah, on about my uh, on Thanksgiving. Can I think actually on my very first trip in a 340, we took a bird down an engine and had to shut it down. Uh, so yeah, uh, and I've I've hit dozens of birds in the flying career, but very little damage. Hmm. Uh, although there have been some horrendous ones with birds actually penetrating canopies and mm-hmm. blinding a pilot. Um, you know, taking out uh, uh, major flight controls engines. So they can be very nasty. So Liz was asking if uh, you heard, if you hit a turkey, is it okay for you to take that home and cook it for Thanksgiving? Sure. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, it's only, it's only reasonable to, you know, not let it go to waste. Yep. The meat will be very tender. That's for sure. (laughs) Kind of ground turkey. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. We uh, we we clobbered a we clobbered a what we th- assumed was something like a, uh, a an eagle, a kite, you know, one of those big um, mm-hmm. birds of prey, on the approach to Hong Kong, and it whacked us in the ray dome, uh, and I thought there might be a quite a bit of damage, and we because uh, the noise was horrendous, it really was. It was you know like it was trying to come in through the front door. Um, and uh, we landed, and when we looked at the ray dome, it was looked superficially fine, covered in blood. Uh, but in fact, what had happened was it had pushed the ray dome in, and then the ray dome had flexed and popped back out again. So hmm. you could see all the witness marks of this huge impact and uh, where the ray dome had flexed. And, of course, there's a chance that it had damaged the radar. We never found out about that. So we went off to the hotel and had lots of beer. Um, but, um, uh, yeah. As you uh, do. The yeah. radar seemed, had fared fairly well, considering. Yeah. I say, knock on wood, thankfully. Oh, Go ahead. I think we're our latency. I said, knock on off. wood. Yeah, sorry. Knock on wood, thankfully, I have not hit a bird with an airplane um i did do a pre-flight walk around once on a it was an arrow uh piper arrow where um clearly the preceding flight had um hit a bird probably on um final short final sometime after the gear was down because it was on the gear door uh Uh. went out and i thought oh um yeah there's um some bird guts here that should be looked at um, that one didn't have to be too big of a deal. Um, but the, the airport where I regularly fly on the weekends, there are always a large number of, um, uh, fairly large birds circling around the departure end of two, three and the approach end of runway five, which just happens to be the runway that we typically use. Um, so we're always on the lookout for them, but yes, they usually, if they're, a lot of times they have a tendency to kind of dive down when they realize that there's an aircraft nearby. So mm-hmm. have to be aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, Spencer does ask what we can do to minimize the risk. Uh, the answer is when you're in their territory, like 5,000 and below, I mean, don't get me wrong. Hooper swans fly up to 25,000 feet. So you can cop a bird <laughs> almost anywhere. Um, make sure your speed is as low as practical. If you're in an area of risk, 
because obviously the kinetic energy of a bird strike uh, is very much dependent on your forward speed, not theirs. Mm -hmm. uh, keep all your lights on because uh, birds will try and get out of the way if they see you coming. Uh, and, um, you know, just keep good lookout um, because, you know, if you can spot them, you can maneuver out of the way um, if you're lucky. Um, they don't always do what you expect them to do, but, you know, yeah, just do your best. And some will say that, uh, like, keeping the radar on will somehow help with uh, dispersing birds, but I think that's been debunked, that theory regarding Yeah, I, I think yeah. waving out of the window, that helps. That does, yeah. that helps. Yeah, and like making bird Move. screaming sounds. Get, go away, get, go away. Get, <laughs> playing APG no very loud. <laughs> playing APG. Yeah. yeah. No, if you, I, Liz is saying if you play APG really loud on your speakers, sometimes that scares them. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was right. Uh, Diamond Aircraft is headquartered in Austria. They have facilities in Canada and China and is amongst the there leading aircraft manufacturer in general aviation. Oh, is amongst... The leading aircraft manufacturer, not the leading aircraft manufacturer. Yeah. They're they're fun little airplanes to fly. I, I've never been in one actually. Flying them on occasion. Mm -hmm. hmm. All right, Very but they cool. do. They have a great glide ratio. So, yeah, as I said, they look like yeah. real. Oh, gliders. the other thing I was going to say was st stay up when crossing the coast because obviously coastal areas are worse for birds. So uh, if you can stay above them when you're crossing a coast, that will yeah be good. Yeah, if you're taking off out of LaGuardia, uh, stay away from the Hudson River, and uh, you know, keep your keep <laughs> yes. your eyes out. Unless uh, you get a ditch, in which case, yeah. <laughs> I think they hit those things at like twenty eight hundred, three thousand feet, something like that. So, yeah, yeah, big birds, hmm. not 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 the one from Sesame Street, though. All right, um, this number thirteen from Bob. He says, "Name that runway." So, Liz, can you throw up the? Um, Overlay there. He says, "Hi guys, can anyone guess this one? Great for a dead yeah, stick it's runway landing. three four. <laughs> well, um, it's there. It's where? like right um, where. Are we going to show the? So it's yeah. on a um, not really like a peninsula looking piece of land. A little bit of a. You want me to find it? Well, close? interestingly, <laughs> point. it should be right in a row it, with all the uh, other uh, uh, feedbacks." Facebook feedback and it goes from 11 to 14. It oh, did I forget to put it in there? Uh, son of a gun. Okay, let me see. Maybe I forgot. You're testing me there. No, I'm not testing you. It was, it's, I'm being testy. Uh, let me see. I'll share that. There, interestingly, there's a, a bunch of connections to this sort of airfield assembly. Yeah, they look like launch pads. From what look like yeah, bunk bunkers or something along the coast. So yeah, well, I have they no are, idea what those are. They don't look uh, big enough to to be taxiways. No, they are launch pads. Mm -hmm. That gives us that oh. kind of narrows it down significantly. Oh, oh. All right, there we go. Can you see that? Oh no, I have to hit the. Oh, add it to the stream. Thank you. We can there now. You Thank you, Nick. You're welcome. Yeah, the, I, there's, there is a checkbox in there to, in the settings that I um, it used to behave a different way. Now you have to actually activate it, which I like. It's just I have to remember to do that. Okay, so there you go. There is the uh, overhead view of the runway uh, that he's saying. Name that runway. And as Nick mentioned, you can see the um, little areas um, 
radiating out from where the runway is and they look kind of, I don't know, interesting. And uh, our own Miami Rick answered and uh, come on, where is it? <laughs> Sorry. I'm it's right at the top. Heavily, you want me to read it? I can read it for no, you. No, go ahead because I, I'm just having trouble yeah, fight, uh, get, your uh, mouse manipulating. Is, um, the, I, ha- I have a I wired understand. mouse now. This is helping, but it's not perfect. Let me let me read. Um, okay. Um, I'm Rick did give a response to this. He okay. says, so the question was, um, hi guys, can anyone guess this one? Great for a dead stick landing. So we're looking at this mm-hmm. um, you know, runway. Um, and like you mentioned, some uh, launch pad looking things off to the side here. It's on this point, which maybe you could describe as a cape, perhaps. Yeah, probably. Mm. So his response is, I don't know. But I know, like a great a German restaurant. I know a great German restaurant about five miles south from there. Also, there's a better runway directly across the Indian River Lagoon, where a space shuttle or two may have landed. Kaya called it first. Yes. Ah, <laughs> Kaya, his significant mm-hmm. other, um, said, yeah, I know what that is. I recognize that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so she does work in the space industry. She does. Blue Origin. Cape Canaveral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cape Canaveral. Cape Canaveral. Yeah. But it's not the shuttle and, um, recovery runway. That, that's another runway. No. Uh, the, so the one across the lagoon, the lagoon is yes. Space Florida Launch and yeah. Landing Facility. Right. So the really, really super long one where the shuttles land uh, is not this one that uh, we're looking at. This is a different one. And then just south of here is Patrick Air Force Base. Another facility with a reasonably wrong, long runway, but not as long as this one. All right. Is there an Let's see the airport at Cocoa the, Beach, uh, too, that's close by? Yeah, that's you Patrick Air Force Base. Space Shuttle Landing oh, okay. Facility is the one that's directly across the lagoon mm-hmm. from the picture we're looking at. Do you know how long oh, it is? Yeah. Oh, it's like 15,000. Yeah, something not super quite long. That long. No? F- 15,001. Oh. Foot. Yeah, don't forget that yeah. one foot. Oh, that extra, that extra one foot, foot is very that's important. That's just to stop that's the nose wheel from dropping off into the sand. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, Bob, if that's your real name, for uh, that question. <laughs> Bob Lovkin. And now, uh, I do have lots of overlays for this next Yes, one. you do have lots of overlays, but I'm going to play a video Plus first. Plus, you've got a video. Yeah. Do the video. First. Okay. So uh, number 14, this is sent in from Rob and um, quote, meanwhile in Ar- Antarctica, high fly has landed for the first time ever an Airbus a 340 in Antarctica. Captain Carlos Mapuri and his crew flew the a 340 nine hotel Sierra Oscar Lima from Cape town to the white continent and back. The journey is 2,500 nautical miles, flying for just over five hours each way. So let me share the video with you all, and we can watch a little bit. I'm going to play the beginning of it, and then I'm going to skip down toward the end of it for the approach and landing in Antarctica with this uh, A340. So here we go. All right, we have music and a wall, people walking through a door. Cape Town, 2nd November 2021. 
Cape Town, South, Af South Africa. There was an A340. Of, uh, high gross weight 340 and uh, it's 6 30 in the morning and uh, our destination will be uh, blue ice uh, runway in antarctica the volksfang the distance is uh, around 2500 nautical miles and the flight time on the way down around five hours and five minutes it is of course a very important moment it's the first time an a340 is landing in antarctica uh, i'll have the pleasure to do this landing myself Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is your commander speaking. My name is Carlos Mirpuri. I'm very proud to be in charge of this flight, the very first flight of an A340 to Antarctica. We expect to depart from runway 01 at the conditions in return. Fantastic. And I do hope you enjoy the flight with us. Thank you, Mr. Tony. Thank you, Mr. She sounds very English. Yeah. <laughs> click, click. Probably a, re a remote tower from England. No. <laughs> Those CFM 56s have a real grind about them. Hey, they got airborne nice and quick, didn't they? I guess. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so they're climbing out. You can see the uh, South African coastline and some of the... Operating to ah. a blue ice runway as uh, we are going to... Tabletop mountain. Tabletop mountain. Requires a whole different way to approach this uh, mission. But one of the most important parts we'll show you is to make sure that we plan with regards to the highest safety concerns. It's nice, okay, chief so, pilot that's flying. Yeah, it's the uh, vice president of the airline that uh, is uh, flying as commander. I'm going to go ahead and uh, fast forward here as they are making their approach and landing into Antarctica. Here we go. I'll start right about here. To Volksfunk. Wait, hang on. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your commander again. Just about to start our descent to Volksfunk. Oh, he's, he's got his woolly bully on. His, yeah. Uh, cardigan, because it's going to be cold. You think? Because <laughs> you really need those call outs. Now, I'm going to pause this for a moment. That automated yeah. call out system said 110. That's weird. It did? Yeah. Yeah. I listened to it oh. several times. Here, let me back Say it up. Again? Here. Yeah. Yeah, it, it'll do that. Okay. But why 110? Well, it, it, um, it will do a normal cadence, but if there's a slight pause in your descent, so you flatten the descent a little bit, it won't wait to the next big number. It'll tell you your current height. So it's smarter oh. than the oh. average so I've standard never heard that call outs. Okay, here, let's hear it again. Ah, yeah. Ah, oh, that's nice job. Mm. Oh, that was sweet. Oh, those beautiful wings. 
Oh, and then it crashes into how a big it fireball. Is to stop. Oh. Yes, I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> well, it looks like they've got it a uh, distance yeah, there for, yeah. for ten miles down. later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like a glacier. So. Wolf's we have just landed on runway one seven five. And, uh, Runway one seven five. I've never landed on a one seven five. One seven or one eight. And, uh, no. I'd like to thank you very much for being part of this memorable event. And look yeah, forward to see you again soon. Thank you very much. Probably one seventy five degrees. The heading of it. All right, so they're congratulating each other and all that kind of stuff. But I thought it was kind of interesting toward the end here. They talk a little bit about how the uh, the difference uh, or the things that were kind of challenging and different about this whole thing all different way to approach this uh, mission uh, first uh, there is no ground support equipment down there that means there is no air start or a ground power unit the 340 is capable to perform this mission with enough fuel to go uh, down and, and up back to, to, to Cape Town and there's all sorts of concerns that uh, surround the mission like this because there is no approach navigation aids uh, or visual aids to support the approach. So it's basically landing on an air club with a very long runway uh, built on uh, blue glacial ice. And the markings that we have are, are that will mark the, the edges of the runway, the threshold, the touchdown zone, uh, the beginning and the end. All right. And we have... Um... Not only you have to ensure that your dispatch uh, deviations are different from the standard flight, that means you cannot tolerate certain things with the airplane or it's uh, uh, braking capability or deceleration means. And also that uh, when you approach an airfield, which is basically a visual airfield like it is in Antarctica, you need to ensure that the weather is good so that you can operate safely. We only launch this operation when the weather is perfectly fine for what we need to do down there. All right. So very nice video. That was most of it that we played. But if you want to watch the entire video, uh, you'll find that in the show notes. And we have some um, overlays uh, that uh, we can um, show and talk a little bit more. I think that, Nick, if you want to say something about this, since this was kind of your baby, this this 340. Oh, most certainly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it looks remarkable just sitting out there in the middle of a vast white snowfield few mountains around uh, and now now the cardigan has been replaced by a proper snow jacket as the crew held this lovely sign i, I noticed they've uh, graded the uh ice for the they runway took a, they it's took grooved. a snow cat to it that's it's it's <laughs> yeah, groomed it just no grooved. in in skiing that's just groomed you know you groom oh, the, groomed oh right the okay. runway, it looks exactly the same speak that that looks like a, a grooved runway usually grooved. it's concrete mm-hmm. though and there's captain highfly uh, uh, this is a, a 300, so you know it's got the uh, it's the slightly smaller version, only uh, two center wheels uh, and the CFM 56 engines as opposed to the Rolls Royce Trents that the Dash 600 had. But basically, uh, it's quite a simple flight, I guess. Uh, the hardest thing is is the landing because, as he mentioned, you know you just head straight south from Cape Town, and uh, you know it's a 1,250 miles or whatever, it would be half of two and a half thousand. Uh, but it must be really hard judging an approach in Whiteout because uh, the, 
There's uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's Father Christmas. Look. Uh-huh. Well, no, that uh, that we were going to save that Father for what uh, what Nick thinks about this whole thing, and then <laughs> he's wearing a bah humbug uh, cap. Yeah, not yes, impressed. Nice. Always so, always so <laughs> yes, yes. cheerful and joyful and that, optimistic. Exactly. It must be lovely on a good day like that. But if you just need a little bit of wind to pick up the snow and and start obscuring um, the difference between the ground and the sky, and you really have very little perspective to work from. This He talks about whiteout, but it is a really big problem uh, when you're flying in this kind of terrain or over any snow-covered uh, terrain when the colour of the sky and the ground just meld. And you lose all visual, uh, you know, indication of your visual attitude. Uh, you have to have a really good um, mix of visual instrument um, scan, so that you're checking your. Uh, I mean, the head-up display is perfect in these kind of conditions. Sadly, the three forty did was an optional extra. We didn't have them, uh, hmm. but uh, they, that would be perfect because there are no. I noticed they got. Um, lights for the beginning of the runway and flags but they've no uh, visual uh puppies or vases no visual uh, glide slope i'm not really sure how you would set those runway. up on the on the snow uh, they, they they do have portable boxes mm-hmm. uh you can put take out and you just uh, have a sort of a spirit level and line them up uh mm-hmm. but uh uh, yeah, um, they they obviously didn't go that far, mm. but uh, no, it can be really quite dangerous if you're uh, trying to make an approach. You need uh, really experienced power hands, and obviously that guy's uh, just the sort of pilot you'd want doing that kind of a mission. Yeah, I mean, he was saying at the end there, they really only do it on days when the conditions are pretty close <laughs> to ideal and perfect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. you had to have somebody that um, has a lot of experience flying. Um, aircraft and with a uh, gray or um, silver hair. I think that's the optimum <laughs> yes, exactly. pilot for this. Kind so what of you're saying mission. is not me mostly because I don't, well, I mean, you, you could be the first officer, but hair. not, not the captain yeah. or commander. I'm just, we, we, I'm just not meeting the gray hair. Condition. No, that's no, all. not yet. That's all right. Got some time. Put a bit of flour in your hair. <laughs> You'd look good. Anyway. Oh no. Every once in a while I find one and then I go, Pluck it out. Uh oh. Two will grow back in its place. No, that's not true. It's not true. I know. I know. No, actually, I don't pluck them out. I just can't be bothered. I don't care. Yeah. What? That doesn't but sound a, like you. A lovely, uh, a, a lovely documented flight. The video was mm-hmm. super oh, quality. Yeah. Very and pretty. It, it looks stunning. It looks absolutely. And the aircraft is pure white. Mm-hmm. They haven't put any markings on it. it. And a white aircraft and white snow, you can barely see it. It looks fantastic. Yeah. Very cool. On my list of places to go. Antarctica. Oh, really? Wow. Thanks for sending that in. Okay, well, it looks, looks like they have plenty of room on board. Mm. Yeah. All right. Let's continue with the last item in our feedback segment. This is from Frank. He has a question for us uh, regarding wildfire smoke. He says, earlier this year, when the wildfires were raging so badly in the western part of the U.S., it made me wonder if the smoke from such extensive fires affect airplane engines. I realize it's not the same kind of contamination as volcanic ash, but can that much smoke impact your engine's performance since solids are replacing all the good stuff in a normal volume of air? Thanks for a continuously entertaining show. Frank Strahan. Anybody venture on 
Um, so I won't, I won't um, venture into what it does to jet engines necessarily, but mm-hmm. um, wildfire smoke certainly can affect um, um, single engine or piston uh, engines. Mm. Uh, and how, how how does it do that, Steph? So assuming it just or has what, to what do does with it the, do? So I, I well, gosh, I don't know all the. Um, I will just say that um, I do know some folks who found themselves flying through some relatively dense smoke um, related to wildfires, and that was determined to be the cause of their um, engine failure in their single-engine piston oh, aircraft. Right. Um, so. I guess they're well, it's in... obviously going to be lower density of oxygen, perhaps. I, I had I would think it would have to do with the oxygen availability for um, actually, yeah, producing the uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, it, it can't be too serious because otherwise all those aircraft, uh, helicopters and things that uh, fight fires from the air, they're in amongst it, right mm-hmm. in amongst it, and oh, they sure. seem to manage. I mean, I've flown through it at altitude uh, and on an approach, and all it does is smell bad mm-hmm. in the cockpit and mm-hmm. in the aircraft. I think the biggest problem uh, with but, smoke uh, is the visibility, uh, limitations to visibility, and that's really the biggest threat. Yeah, very true. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean volcanic ash, of course, has that component which is uh, which can melt onto the blades. Uh, it's um, uh, it's the the mineral in the dust that can turn into glass on mm-hmm. the blades and uh, wreck your engines, as well as the abrasion it causes uh, on the airframe, the windshields, uh, and the blades themselves affect the aerodynamic qualities of the uh, blades that are engine. It can be a serious problem. Um, and um, ash doesn't have that same uh, sandpaper quality, that same no. uh, abrasive quality. So I don't think you're going to be worried about that, or, or you're really going to be just, as Steph mentioned, you're going to be worried about um, if it can starve your engine of enough oxygen, enough mm-hmm. air to... Um, stop the combustion process happening inside your engine because it's already been, you know. Yeah. And I, I think that was already. the, yeah, the, I always suspect that that was the actual reason for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah. can't think of another good reason why that would happen, but yeah. There you go. And I, I don't think, yeah, it, I, it probably I mean, has more in a, of an effect on a um, piston reciprocating type of engine than it does in a jet engine. Right. Yeah, I would think. I so. mean, do you Something get like air filters? Uh, fine air filters in a aircraft piston engine. I'm, I'm. Fine air filters. Yeah, like your car. Uh, would you have uh, an air filter like how... your car? Um, fine. That's a good question for someone who's a me- who's a mechanic. I, I'm just wondering if the ash could block the air filter in into the aircraft. I mean, I guess if there's enough of it, sure. In the in the, into the engine. In the into yeah. Yeah. So I. I mean, it wouldn't be wise to fly through it, but it's not nearly as dangerous as uh, volcanic ash. I, I think it's probably fair to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Might also block heat exchangers, sensors, cooling canals. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. There's our expert opinion on this. Mm-hmm. But I would Google it. Expert guess sure. in my case. <laughs> <laughs> You know what, guys? I think it's. I think it is time for us to wrap this thing up and finish up with uh, the 400 series of APG episodes that we started back on November 19th of 2019. 
And uh, why don't we do this next week? Let's start the 500 series of the uh, show. Yes. I think we could do that. Second half of the millennium. Yeah. So um, let's uh, talk about how folks can learn more about this wonderful community that has been built up around this show uh, called the APG community. And uh, you can find information about that on our website, airlinepilotguy.com. Uh, also about the crew and the, we have an APG calendar. We have uh, the APG library. If you know how to read, uh, Tiffany uh, takes care of that for <laughs> that's, us. That's not uh, most of our, no, that's why the, they're listening. Many of the people listening are pilots. So that's why I said that. Um, let's see what else uh, we have uh, more information about the, we have a plain tales page, more pictures and information about uh, more in-depth information about the uh, plain tales that Nick does every week for us. Uh, we have merchandise and uh, we have uh, coffee fund information, so much more. So check it out. Airlinepilotguy.com. And we're also on the social meds and Steph is going to tell us about that. I am. Liz already has it up there on the screen, but if you are on Facebook, you can find us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. Lots of our community members there all sharing various aviation ideas, stories, and news items. Um, if you prefer fewer characters in your social media diet, um, that would be Twitter, Twitter, um, on your mobile device. And we are at APG crew and you can find our individual Twitter handles pinned to the top of the page and Hey, check out our Instagram. Sometimes I put stuff there and sometimes I share Nick's, um, show artwork when I think about it and get around to it. Uh, we're also APG crew on Instagram, but if you really, really want to get into the weeds, um, and, uh, be a, be a, part of this big community i suggest slack yeah and, and speaking and of hello, characters hopefully yeah halal <laughs> is quite a character and uh let's see if he's here in the cabin with me hey hey halal halal do you have time for slack all right he's going to come over here and he's going to tell us all about slack APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. All right. Thank you, uh, Hillel, for that. Um, check it out. And, no, uh, wait, Jeff. What? Okay. <laughs> it's odd that he's in your cabin with you, but he's, is that how he's social distancing from other people? Yeah. I'm confused. I, I am very, I'm always confused when it comes to Hillel. <laughs> so uh, anyway, thank you. Thank you, Hillel. Uh, go back to uh, the bathroom and do whatever. Um, Jeff, what? Would you lose on my back? No, again? no. <laughs> Gosh. Again? That implies that uh, don't listen to him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And we also want to uh, throw out a big thank you for our producer director, my assistant in Toronto, Canada, Liz Piper. Tough job tonight. Yay, Liz. It's always a tough job dealing with us. And Um, she'll be with us. uh, I can't wait to see you in person, uh, Liz, next week. Yeah, week's time. In Atlanta. All right. 
And with that, we are going to sign off. All right. Wishing you all clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Cheers, y'all. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Have a good week. Good day. I used to be such a good, good pilot. Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy fall I got no friends cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline pilot guy I fly for America Airline pilot guy 